All right, welcome in everybody. Episode 44 of Force for the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. Hope everyone had a good week. Uh, the trend continues. Some breaking news in baseball uh, as the week goes along. It seems like Thursday, the day after we record, seems to be the big day for every move to happen. So uh, we kind of have to wait a little bit to break it down. But we'll talk about everything that happened in baseball. Two really significant storylines with the Mets and one humongous storyline with the Yankees. We'll get into that. The Jets have hired their new head coach. They hire Robert, Robert Sala, former defensive coordinator of the 49ers, and he brings over Mike LaFleur uh, to run the offense. Uh, so you get a off- young offensive mind, a bright offensive mind in there. Uh, for whoever is going to be the quarterback of the Jets next season. We do not know that yet. Uh, James Harden's officially a Brooklyn Net. He's played two games with them. He looks really good. Uh, and Kyrie makes his first game back tonight, so we'll finally get our first taste of seeing how that big three works if they're able to gel together. And the NHL season's underway. The Rangers have struggled a little bit out of the gate. Uh, they looked really bad on opening night. They looked really good in game two, and they looked uh, pretty eh last night in game three one and two to start the season so we have a lot of stuff to break down we'll start it off with the Mets obviously because that's been the that's been the storyline that's kind of uh <clears throat> taking a front seat this week so uh about 11 o'clock on Monday night uh we get word from Jeff Passan and Mina Kimes at ESPN they wrote a story that Mets newly hired general manager Jared Porter who would on the job for a total of 37 days um, had admitted to sending unsolicited explicit photos to a female reporter uh, back in 2016 when he was working for the Cubs. Uh, he ended up sending 62 unanswered text messages, basically harassing this girl, uh, sent a couple of pictures of sexual nature, uh, a couple of nude photos, um, and some offensive text messages to her. And uh, it was a foreign reporter. She was a foreign correspondent from another country. Uh, and said that she was kind of just felt awkward uh, about the whole situation. And so she kind of let it go on, not really knowing where it was headed, but Porter completely in the wrong um, to the point where this woman actually felt uncomfortable going to the ballpark. When she saw him, she would actually hide in the bathroom if she saw Porter uh, at one of the stadiums that she was at covering a game. Uh, and she had even switched careers. Um, not that this had everything to do with her switching careers, but uh, she did end up switching careers. This is a story that ESPN had had back in 2017, but the woman did not want to come forward yet. She thought that she would uh, it would negatively impact her career, and she said the country that she's from, there are not a lot of women's rights, so if your name is involved in any sort of sexual scandal or a scandal of a sexual nature, whether you're the victim or not, um, it's kind of looked down upon. So she wasn't comfortable coming forward. Now she was comfortable with the story being heard right after Porter um, gets what he said in his opening press conference, his dream job. Uh, so the Mets, Sandy Alderson, Steve Cohen, they acted swiftly. They handled it as smoothly as you could possibly handle it, given the circumstances. And they fired Jared Porter the next morning. So, you know, some people are going to jump to conclusions and say, ah, same old Mets. But it's really not the same old Mets for for a variety of reasons. Number one, this was not a scenario which you could foresee coming. Uh, This wasn't a scenario that presented itself because of ineptitude from the top of the organization. This is something that, by all accounts, no teams knew about. Um, There was one former Cubs employee that was notified that this happened back in 2016 and didn't really do anything about it, didn't tell anybody, didn't take sides, kind of said he didn't want to be involved and kind of just let it be at that. Um, So nothing that the Mets could have done differently, really, in the vetting process to be able to – 
avoid this kind of thing. This was something that just ended up coming out, and it was out of the Mets' control. I thought that Sandy Alderson had a, a pretty good press conference addressing the issues. Uh, he had one slip-up, which is kind of a major slip-up, and he did mention the country that the reporter was from. ESPN purposely wanted to keep the anonymity of this woman and, and not give her name or the country she was from, and Sandy Alderson unfortunately let it slip. Obviously, it wasn't malicious, but uh, that was a slip-up. But besides that, I thought he handled it well. Uh, he addressed the fact that he thinks that there's an issue in sports with the lack of women in leadership positions and um, he did acknowledge that maybe if there had been more women in leadership positions in baseball, there would have been more women that have that were talked to during the vetting process of Jared Porter, and maybe some women would have came forward and said that they were uncomfortable around him. You know, that's all. It's all speculation, but you never know what could have happened if that were the case. So, the Mets don't have a general manager. It looks like Alderson's going to take care of baseball operations for the time being. They did hire Zach Scott, uh, a former assistant in Boston to be their assistant general manager. So obviously I think he'll have a bigger seat at the table as we get closer to the regular season here, but obviously not what you want um, from everyone who is very excited about the hire. Uh, Jeff Passan himself uh, was waxing poetic about Jared Porter when the Mets hired him. So the entire fan base was very excited about this guy being hired, Rob, and he doesn't even last uh, too much longer than a month. So now you have a manager from last season and Carlos Beltran that doesn't make it to the regular season. Now you have a general manager that doesn't make it to the regular season. So um, I'm not going to overreact. I think it's, like I said, it's something that was out of the Mets' control. I thought they handled it as well as they could have given the circumstances. And it's a it's a minor bump in the road with everything that's been going swimmingly so far in Mets land. This is a minor bump in the road. But they fired Porter, and, you know, they'll. Uh, I think they kind of rid themselves of any blame in this scenario, being that they handled it as swiftly and as smoothly as possible. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far into this right now because this has been going on for a day and a half now. It's not what we're about here on this podcast. We'll give you a little recap of it. And everybody knows the circumstances. You just hope the victim's okay. As you mentioned, she had to move her, basically her career. Um, so it's a shame. It's it's terrible for what Jared Porter did do. You know, it was a bit, bit creepy there when you're sending 62 unanswered text messages to somebody and then sending bulge pictures of yourself. You know, I mean, yeah, but you know, come on. So look. I mean, will he ever work in baseball again? Who knows? But that's not the point. The point is the Mets are really not responsible for any of this. Um, as far as the vetting process, the Mets did their due diligence on him. Obviously, like Sandy Alderson said, there's not enough women to interview, you know, in, in, in certain jobs uh, in Major League Baseball. And it's like that throughout sports. But that's a whole nother topic for another day, for another sort of podcast, not here. You just hope the victim's okay and she can move on with her life and she doesn't ever really get exposed because as she said in Korea, it's different than what, what it is here. You know, over here, there's movements here for women. In Korea, there's not. They're frowned upon and they're scored upon. So you hope this girl can just kind of stay in anonymity. And, you know, obviously Sandy Alderson did slip up with saying she was a Korean reporter. Wasn't anything malicious, anything with intent. Just somebody that just was kind of caught up. And I think this is a little overwhelming, even for Sandy Alderson, because it all came within a 24-hour time frame. So right. give him a break on that. You know, and we need to move forward with this. Everybody's heard all the circumstances. Everybody could form their own opinions and say what they want to say, however way they want to react. And, and that would be it as far as we're concerned, I think, Andrew, because 
there's other topics we we can uh, we can discuss right now. There's plenty more we need to discuss: football, yes. more baseball, and hockey, and basketball, and everything else. So yeah, again, we should we should again get down. Our, again our our sympathies go out to that woman who had to deal with that crap because no woman should deal with that crap in any sort of workplace. And that and we'll leave it at that because yes. you can't even go any further than that. No, no. Obviously, what happened was despicable. It's reprehensible. I'm glad that the Mets handled it the way they did. Like I and said, and it came out right away. Steve Cohn came out the next morning. Boom! That's it. Done. Fired. Yeah. Gone. Let's go. And you know what? In a couple of days from now, it, it it's not even going to be a topic anymore. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably going to be some movements of women, maybe. But the Mets handled it. It's not their fault, as you said. The Cubs had some information on this uh, from 2016. Yeah. So you know the fact in, that they didn't release it. Look, the fact they didn't release it, ESPN had a story. Nobody wanted to go behind the scenes and and even let maybe let the Mets know on off the record to say, hey, listen, this is what we got. So and that again, that's a, that's another topic for another day for another podcast. So we'll move on from that now. So I, got- I think we need to we need to get this all out in the open now, because you and I were talking uh, for a good portion of the day uh, and, and we have differing opinions on what we're about to talk about. So I, I think it's time to let it all out in the open. And if you like, you know, disagreements, it'll make for good radio. So buckle up. So it's well, uh, well I, I think I think we I think we should I think we should save that. Let's get to the football first. Then we can get into the baseball because I think we should touch on the football and then we could do our debate about, you know, what we were discussing today going back and forth. So I, I, think see, we, I see what I you're think doing. Get to the football first. See, that's not what we're going to do, because. You're hoping that we start talking about some other things, and I and I have some ammunition that I forget about, and then you can win the argument. I don't know. If, that's that's a good tactic by you, but I don't know if I'm going to fall for it. There's no winning an argument. It's just a disagreement. <laughs> it's two guys that just thought differently about this whole situation with the Mets and George Springer and anything else involved with George Springer right now. All right, so we'll 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 warm up. We'll warm up with something that with, with the topic that that we we do fall on the same spectrum with or or actually we don't know because we haven't really discussed it that much but we'll get into the nfl playoffs so yeah obviously the afc and nfc championships are, are both set uh after the divisional round so next weekend you have the tampa bay bucks and the green bay packers and you have the buffalo bills and the kansas city chiefs now divisional weekend was it was entertaining for the most part uh yet the two games on saturday were not as good as the two games on sunday um you had the rams and the packers and that game went how we expected um you know, obviously my three-point play did not work out because the over ended up hitting. But, you know, the game went the way I thought it would. The, the Packers controlled the tempo of the game. As good as the Rams' defense is, you're not going to shut down Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and they did not shut down the running game. And Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones had a bunch of chunk runs in that game that really controlled the tempo. They'd bring guys up in the box to sell out and stop the run. And Aaron Rodgers would throw over the top to his plethora of receivers that he has in Green Bay. So, you know, Jared Goff did what he could. We knew he wasn't 100%. That offense is not a high-powered offense by any stretch. And the, and the Packers really handled them. And then the other NFC game, obviously, you had uh, Breeze and Brady part three and that game went exactly how Rob and I both expected we both picked Tampa Bay to win that game outright we both had Tampa Bay as our picks this weekend getting three points it's it's just so tough to beat a team three times in a season it really is and this was a battle of the old quarterbacks and after watching that game you could tell that Drew Brees has aged more than Tom Brady has because Brees was was not good in that game 
Uh, he turned the ball over three times, a couple of really bad interceptions. Uh, Tampa Bay shut down Alvin Kamara for the most part. They completely took Michael Thomas out of the game. He didn't have a single catch. And, you know, Brady was efficient, didn't turn the ball over. There wasn't any high-powered offense. There were a lot of special teams plays that flipped the field, and Tampa Bay handles them. So now you got Green Bay and Tampa Bay uh, at Lambeau Field in the championship game next week, and the Packers are three-and-a-half-point favorites. And I think that line is about right looking on to next week. Yeah, well, I want to get back to that Ram Packer game because I had texted you earlier that day of the game, and I said, you know what, Andrew? I changed my mind. I just think the Packers are going to blow them out. Now, they didn't blow them out, but like you said, they can they controlled the tempo in that entire game. That game was never really a game. Aaron Donald was not 100%. He was hurt. He was on the sidelines more than he was on the field with some torn rib cartilage, which is a painful injury to play through. So that definitely uh, that definitely depleted the, the Rams' defense. And, you know, losing Cooper Cup on offense was was a tough injury also. Jared Goff, I, I mean, look, Jared Goff at this point right now, you got to be wondering right now, and, and, you know, at the end of the postgame, McVay didn't 100% commit to Jared Goff as his quarterback next season. So that's going to be an interesting scenario, um, you know, down the road right now. But, you know, Rodgers did what he did. Devontae Adams did what he did, an unsung hero in that game. I know you mentioned Aaron Jones, but, you know, A.J. Dillon went out er uh, early with an injury to his quad, and Jamal Williams had some really, really strong carries for the Packers. Looked terrific in that game, and, you know, the Packers pretty much carried that game. Um, you know, like you said, the other NFC game, did Tom Brady play his best game? No, he did not. He You know, he he was – he was below average in the first half, but the second half, you know, Brady came on and he did what he had to do to lead his team to victory. You know, the guy, the guy is unreal. And you know what? Beginning of the year, me and you both, both thought that maybe this was an eight and eight team. And we kind of thought that maybe they were signing too many stars and father time with Brady. But you know what? He fooled us both here. So kudos to Tom Brady, who goes to yet another championship game. But this time he he goes to the NFC, he goes to the Buccaneers, and now he leads them to an NFC championship uh, game. So that should be a great game in Green Bay. <clears throat> I mean, as far as Drew Brees, it came out today that besides the 11 broken ribs and the functioned lung, he also had a torn rotator cuff as well as plantar fasciitis. So Drew Brees was a broken man. You know, he really, really was. And he got through the season. But as I told you, that's a fraud team, Andrew. Every single time in the playoffs, that team has a home playoff game and they find a way to lose. Now, Drew Brees, who's had a terrific Hall of Fame career, won one Super Bowl in his career with, with home playoff games, with talent on both sides of the ball, with a very, very good coach. And you got to wonder. You know, you got to wonder if you could question the legacy of Drew Brees' career at this point. Can you question it? I've always thought that the Saints were a bully team, especially when they're at home. They padded stats. You used to watch games on Monday nights, Sunday nights, games where all of a sudden they needed some more stats for some of their players, and they're throwing the ball down the field, scoring touchdowns when they're up by 35 in the fourth quarter, and it would be padding stats. I was never, never, never a Saint fan. I just did not like that team. There was something about them. And you see, it's almost like Karma bites him in the ass every year in the playoffs. It really is. And the fact that Michael Thomas doesn't even have a catch the other day, that's insane. How does a guy not have one catch? 
I mean, they was, didn't even he talk about him that he much. He was open a lot. He was. They really never talked about him all that much. No. No, and the only big passing, the only big play, the only splash play that New Orleans had was when they brought Jameis Winston in, which, again, you know, goes to show you. And I kept saying all year, every time they need a big play, they bring Taysom Hill in. Well, Taysom Hill was unavailable on this game, so when they right. needed a big play, they brought Jameis Winston in. And, then, and I they guess took that play right out of the Bears' playbook, the same play that the Bears ran against them the week before. Yeah. They ran the same exact play. So, yeah. you know, the Ravens and Bills is really not much to talk about. Um, you know, it was really just... A boring game, I tell you. That was a boring game, but uh, you know the bill, the Bills, uh, you know, pulled it out seventeen three. And Lamar let me Jackson let me really let me say this. Much. Let me say this. I said this last week on the podcast. Everybody was, you know, pushing the narrative. Playoff Lamar Jackson. He can't win a big game. He beat the Titans, and then all of a sudden, everybody was on the Lamar Jackson train. And I said it last week. Why? Why did one game change everybody's mind? And you saw more of the same that you saw these past two seasons on Sunday night. Lamar Jackson was not good in that game. He was awful. And in the one time they sustained the drive, he throws a pick in the end zone. It gets returned 101 yards for a touchdown. I'm telling you, there's a formula to beat the Ravens. The Ravens are a very, very, very flawed team. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a formula to beat them. You force Lamar Jackson to stand in the pocket. He is not beating anybody. I'm sorry, he's not. There is a formula, and the formula is just stop the running attack, which the Bills did. And the Bills were, were pretty much a weak defense against the rush. But they stopped the running attack. They didn't allow the Ravens to throw on, to, to run on them, and it forced Lamar Jackson to throw. And we and, all know what happens if Lamar Jackson has to throw. And that's why they're like flawed. Said, that's he's why they're flawed. Because you have, you have one dim, you're a one-dimensional team that needs a, a certain blueprint to be followed to win games. You can't do it. I'm sorry. Listen, Tennessee figured out they didn't do it this year, obviously, but they figured out a way to beat them last year in the playoffs, and Tennessee's run defense was not good. But they found what, a way to stop the run. You stop the yeah. run, you're, you're going to beat that team. Baltimore is not that good. You know, much like they did it for Josh Allen, I think what they need to do for Lamar Jackson is to get him a bona fide number one receiver. One of those free agents, whether it be a Will Fuller, Allen Robinson, or Kenny Galladay, one of those type of receivers would probably help out Lamar Jackson a lot. Because I'll be honest with you, their wide receiving core, I mean, really, really is, it's its average at best. I think really it's, it's and, and, it, and it has and been Hollywood for Brown. Six, These guys now. aren't big-time receivers. They're really, really not. I mean, their best receiver is probably their tight end, Mark Andrews. And, you know, he he's good, but he's not great. And the last, so, time, they, the last time they had a number one receiver was Steve Smith. And they had Steve Smith well past his prime. Well past his prime. So they definitely need that that big time receiver to maybe even help Lamar Jackson out. So, you know, we'll see what they do in the off season, but then, you know, you got to the, uh, to the other AFC game, which was the Browns and the chiefs. And man, that game was interesting. And I'll tell you what, the refs blew that call and that's a huge call. And we oh, could all argue what awful. the rule is because I think that rule sucks myself. No, it's the worst rule in sports. It's, it's the dumbest rule. If that ball rolls out on the one inch line before the goal line, it's Cleveland ball. It rolls one pa- one inch past the goal line, out of bounds, or out out through the end zone at some point, and all of a sudden it's a touchback and it and it goes back to the to the to the uh, to the opposing team to to the Chiefs or whoever it may be in whatever game. I mean that's that rule is so bad it needs to be rewritten. Just give the team the ball back on the 20 yard line. That's they it. Give it back. Even give it back to them at the original line of scrimmage. I don't care. Just somehow, some and, way. 
And you you didn't, can't award the ball. You're giving them. You're giving a team two penalties, one for fumbling, and and the other penalty is to give the ball to the opposing team. It doesn't make sense. And not only that, but Sorensen used his helmet to make contact, which is illegal. That should have been a 15 yard penalty. It should have been Cleveland ball. That was a huge non call. And, and that's Absolutely what I. Huge. That's what I don't understand, right? Because we we use replay. For everything nowadays, right. so th- so they use the replay and they and they and they sit back and they look at thirty five different camera angles to figure out whether the ball when whether he fumbled the ball before he crossed the plane, right? And they find out no, okay, he fumbled it before he crossed the plane, but you could clearly see in that replay that that was the most blatant helmet to helmet contact you've ever seen. Oh, but no, that's not reviewable, so we can't we can't change that. Like the the replay the the replay rules are just so ass backwards. The rule for fumbling into the end zone as a touchback is ass backwards. You fumble anywhere else on the field and it rolls out of bounds. The ball gets placed back where at the spot of the fumble. But if you do it into the end zone, the ball goes to the other team. It's so dumb. And and the most interesting part about it, Rob, is I heard throughout the week from so many coaches that they have enacted uh, policies in their locker room. That they don't want their players diving for the pylon with the ball in their Bill hands. Belichick. That's a Bill Belichick no-no, man. He'll he'll sit a guy the next week if a guy but, does that. But how how asinine is that? That you have coaches telling their players that they can't dive for the pylon because of that stupid rule. You, these players should not be not diving for a touchdown. You should right. be giving it your all. And you have to coach guys to not do that. That's all. Everything you need to know about how dumb that rule is. That rule needs to be rewritten. Get rid it of needs it. Needs to be rewritten. Period. But, you know, you get into that game. The Browns played a hell of a game. You know, I mean, obviously Mahomes goes out. And I'll tell you the truth, Andrew, I don't think he went out with a concussion. I think he got choked out. Yeah, that's what it looked like. That's what it looked like. Even Jay Glazer, who trains MMA fighters, and he was an MMA fighter himself to a certain degree, but he even said it after the game. He goes, listen, he was choked out. This was not a concussion. You could look at 100 different replays. His head maybe hit the turf. He was just choked out, and I think that's what happened to him because, you know, they're going to say he's going to go in concussion protocol. I don't think he ever had a concussion. He's out of protocol already. He was a full participant in practice. A full participant, but they still give it. He's in concussion protocol, but he never had a concussion. So Pat Mahomes will be – he'll be 100% healthy in that game, with the exception of probably maybe a turf toe that he has, which he can deal with, you know. So, But I'll tell you what, and I didn't want to text you and break your chops – but I probably should have, but I wouldn't do that because I know what that feeling could be like. But what was your feeling when Andy Reid showed a gigantic sack between his legs on fourth and one when everybody was expecting him just to not even snap the ball I on the 50-yard line? When I saw that, I looked through the yellow pages to try to find Mike Tomlin's phone number. Yeah. So that I can call him up and tell him that's yeah. what winning football is like. And Andy exactly. Reid is known now. He's not to, not to the extent that Ron Rivera has earned a, his MO as being riverboat Ron. But Andy Reid is known as being an aggressive head coach. And he's in there with his backup quarterback. And he ran the same exact play that Kansas City always runs. And I said this in my group chat. Kansas City, on five different occasions this year, when it was a third or fourth down that they needed to seal the game, they ran the same exact play all five times. And it's nobody defends it. Andrew, it's that un- play's unstoppable. And, and they had their backup quarterback in the game. And it was on a fourth down where everybody thought that they were just trying to draw the defense off sides. And they snapped the ball. And they didn't even snap the ball at the end of the play clock. They snapped the ball with five seconds left on the play clock. They caught everybody in the stadium off guard by running that play. 
he's just he's a genius. And you know what? Aggressive. When you coach aggressive like that, and you coach to win, good things come. If Andy Reid goes for it and doesn't get it, I really don't think that a lot of people criticize him. I don't. I really don't. You have to. Kansas City is not in a position that they're in right now because of their defense. They're in a position because of their offense. I know Pat Mahomes is not in the game, but Chad Henney did a more than reasonable job. He had that one awful interception in the end zone. But besides that, I thought he managed the game pretty well. Uh, now, if Henny was playing this week, I don't think he would beat Baltimore, but he did a more than adequate job against Cleveland. Listen, you don't live in your fears, and and that's the that's the thing, you know. When you mentioned Mike Tomlin and the Steelers, that was the thing that was so surprising. He, should, he, he, should always, those words. he always says that, and yet yeah. that's exactly what he did. He lived in his fears. You can't live in your fears because Andy Reid showed you the type of cojones that he has, and it paid off for them. And that's what winning football is like. There's a common theme. And, and Rob, what's the difference, right? The Chiefs won. The Browns lost. The Chiefs coaching staff, Andy Reid, coached to win with that fourth down call. The Browns coaching staff with Kevin Stefanski – Coach to lose by punting earlier in that fourth quarter with yeah. however much time was left on the clock. Yeah, I think it was well, a little listen, less than four you know, they also they also ruined a shot at anything, any sort of uh, any any sort of a game winning drive when they allowed Chad Henney on third and fourteen, you know, to run out of the pocket like that. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you you that cannot happen. That can absolutely not happen. You know, Miles Garrett seemed like he was hurting uh, for that whole fourth quarter. It looked like it was maybe some sort of an oblique sort of injury or something, but uh, he was hurting. Um, and it was I after think- a sack. They sack him on second down. Yeah. There was yeah. actually, there was, I don't know about you, but there was a, a little bit of a feeling in my head. After that sack, I kind of had a feeling. I said, wow. I had a feeling that if Cleveland got the ball back, they were going to go down and win the game. So now I let's- had that feeling. Let's get away from the divisional games now. We're going to the championship games, the two championship games on Sunday. Always a great day. The divisional and championship games, I mean, I tell you the truth, those weekends are better a lot of the times than a Super Bowl weekend, to be honest with you. But, you know, Tampa and Green Bay, Buffalo and Kansas City, we'll start off with Tampa and Green Bay. And I'll tell you, Andrew, you got to wonder, this game is a legacy game for one Aaron Rodgers. And I say that because Aaron Rodgers, who's considered a greater quarterback than Tom Brady, which is ludicrous because you just look at Tom Brady's track record, obviously. Is he a great, is he a better athlete? Absolutely is. Rodgers makes some unbelievable throws. He is a terrific quarterback. But let's not put him in the same stratosphere as Tom Brady at this point. Now, I've, but, always, I've always said Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback, though. I think right. there's a huge difference there. Oh, well, yeah. No, just as far as talent level. Maybe, talent level but, and athleticism, yeah, yeah. But that's about it. But, you know, you, you got to wonder if Aaron Rodgers loses this game, what that does to his legacy. Because I don't, you know, I, I would think him beating Brady – Going to a Super Bowl and winning it cements his legacy with a second Super Bowl for sure. Nobody could say nothing about Aaron Rodgers then. Nobody I can agree can. with that, but I don't really think it gets tarnished too much because everybody knows that they haven't done a great job. He, of he's constantly compared. Him with talent. To, I think it does because he's constantly compared to Tom Brady. It is, it's all over the place, and there's not you shouldn't compare him. I mean, anybody that's worth their salt that knows anything about football should not compare Tom Brady to anybody. Ever, <laughs> ever, period, stop. But I think in this, in, in, for, for Aaron Rodgers to have a home championship game, 
He needs to come out with a win here. He has to come out with a win here. Has to. He loses this game, a home championship game, two years in a row where, where they were a fantastic regular season. But if he comes into this, this game here and loses this game at Lambeau, there's going to be a lot of people questioning Aaron Rodgers. See, and I don't, I don't, I don't know about so. that. I, I think it depends on how the game goes. If Green Bay loses a shootout, forty to thirty-seven, I don't think anybody bats an eye. But if if Green Bay's offense is shut right down that. like they were last time they played Tampa, and Aaron Rodgers in the offense is only able to muster up, let's say, fourteen or seventeen points, then I think that some criticism starts to come. And and. Let's let's remember. I mean, they have a quarterback in the wings there, so you're obviously then you're going to start hearing the conversations. Not that I think it's the right one, but you're going to start having conversations, uh, you know, from media pundits saying, "Oh, well, Jordan Love is waiting in the wings. Aaron Rodgers." I like to say that Juan Rodgers is coming off an MVP season. He's probably going to be the MVP of the league. But what what if what if it's a what if it's a 34-30 game with two and a half minutes left and Rodgers has the ball and doesn't take Green Bay down the field for the touchdown to win the game? What happens then? See, now you could question it a lot of different ways. He could yeah, be having a terrific true. game up until that point. But if he doesn't complete the mission. Yeah, he, throw, he throws a pick with a minute it's and a half left. It's, yeah. a fa- it's a failure. It's a failure. Yeah, I see what you're saying. That's a good point. So, you know, you, we could look at it all different ways. Uh, this game, as far as Tom Brady's concerned, I mean, look, you know, nobody's going to question Brady if he loses this game. I mean, as far as anybody's concerned, he took – he took that Tampa team to the to the NFC Championship at the age of forty three, you know. So th- there's there's no questioning Tom Brady if he happens to lose this game. So, you know, it, it it's it's interesting storylines all the way around over there. That's a tough game, you know. We're gonna have to pick those two games, obviously, with the with our picks that we've been doing, and you know, we go to the second game, Bills Chiefs, and I'll tell you, boy, I. I that's going to be a terrific game too. I tell you, I, I think both games are going to be great games. I, I don't see either game being a boring game. I don't see either game being a blowout on either side. I really don't. I think both games are going to come down to the wire where both games might come down to last team with the ball, might win or lose it. And that's it. And, you know, we're looking at the Bills and Chiefs. Uh, You know, look, that line is only three, which I question. It's that line is way off. It's way off. I, I question it, and I was figuring after Mahomes' practice today, would that line move a bit? Because I I understand in the beginning it's kind of a health thing. Maybe they're quite you know maybe they're thinking about Mahomes' health, so they put the line only at three. So what you're trying to tell me is that on a neutral field, this game is basically a pick'em. Interesting. Well, you know what? It's it's funny because. I don't understand for the life of me. And you have people who are supposed to be professional gamblers and they, and they just spew out some nonsense sometimes. And I don't know if you agree with me, but I think that any regular season trend that you try to point out when picking a side for a game is just a total crock. The postseason is a different animal. We're talking about an AFC championship. You could throw out every single stat in the regular season you want. And I think it's completely meaningless. And one of the common stats that I've been hearing for the past week is that Cleveland, uh, uh, Kansas City has not covered since week 10. Do you, does, does that factor into my decision at all? No, not for me. This is the AFC Championship. I don't I don't care what happened the last six weeks of the regular season. I, I really don't. 
I really don't. I mean, they've won a playoff game. They came back. We were concerned about Russ. They looked pretty good, Kansas City. They didn't look perfect, but they looked good enough to win, for sure. So I think any of those regular season trends, I really think it goes out the window. Can, uh, Mahomes was able to be a full participant in practice. It's not like he's not getting any reps. So I just, you know, I just, I just question that. I really think that that line is off because also you do have to remember that Kansas City does have home field advantage because that, that stadium does have a lot of fans in it, more than Buffalo would have if the game was in Buffalo. Also have to remember that even though Buffalo has won two games in this postseason, they haven't looked great in doing either of them. No. The, the offense was not great last week. Uh, the defense was good, but the offense was not great. And I thought that they had an opportunity to really run away with that game against Indianapolis, and they didn't. So I'm not comfortable going, you know, I don't know. I just, I think that that line is off. I think it should be closer to six than it is to three. And obviously, you know, we haven't obviously made our picks yet. And I'm, I'm tipping my hand a little bit by saying that. But th- I think the line should be closer to, to, to five and a half or six. I really do. Uh, y- y- um, it's funny because, you know, Buffalo's defense, who really was just average at best, up until the last three, four weeks has been has really been leading the way for them. Their offense has been a bit disjointed because you know why? They can't get a running game going. You know, you can't get a run. You got to you got to be able to run the ball. You got to have some ability to run the ball. You know, you really really do and Zach Moss is hurt now. Singletary's just not getting it done and you know it was in back going back to that Raven game, you know they, I think they they threw the ball 19 straight times at one point, Buffalo. So, you know, they're not even trying to run the ball here with Singletary. I mean, I know it's Singletary and TJ Yeldon. They signed Devontae Freeman off the Giants practice squad. But, you know, maybe maybe he gets a little bit of a look. But how much, uh, you know, who was he going to get? Maybe three or four carries if he dresses this week? You know, so they're not even really trying to run the ball. So you got to have some semblance of a running game. You just can't have Josh Allen dropping back into the pocket constantly. And they have no running game whatsoever right now. So they need to try and establish a running game here early um, for Josh Allen's sake because he's only looked average himself, Josh Allen. You know, he's only looked average. So, look, I tell you the truth, the way this line is is looking right now, I mean, geez, how do you not take the Chiefs? I'll be honest with you. Yeah. How do you not take the Chiefs? I don't well, know. Instead of saying, how do you not? How about we get down to it and, and we get to our picks? So, okay. Rob, let's do Rob this. had a tremendous week last week, sweeps the board. Uh, his one point play, his two point play, and his three point play, he wins all three. He obviously uh, he had the Browns plus 10 as his one point play, Bills minus two and a half, Bucks plus three as a three point play. All three of those hit. For me, my one point play was Bucks plus three. That ends up cashing. Browns plus 10 at two-point play. That hits. My three-point play under 45 and a half in Rams-Packers. That one doesn't hit, and I was super confident about that, but this has been the story of the season. Even in my league with my other friends, I I'm I have a decent record, but I'm just not really allocating the points properly. That's been the, the story all year long. So, so I Rob guess had we're going to take, we're gonna take both games, uh, and then we'll take one of the totals, whichever one we want. Yeah, one-point one play could be a total in one play to, uh, in right. – um, so we'll continue with one point play, two point play, and three point play, and then for the Super Bowl, we'll come up with a plan. We can either yeah, we'll do a, we could yeah. do a, t- a total, the spread, and a player prop or something like that. We can yeah. come up with a plan. Yeah, we'll so figure something out. 
Rob had the better record in the divisional round, so Rob, I'll open it up with you. You make your picks first. Okay, so here we go. Let's go. Championship Sunday, baby. Sunday, January 24th. We start out 3.05 p.m. on the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Set in the mood. Aaron Rodgers. Tom Brady. I don't know if it gets better than that matchup. Wait, at this a, wait a second. Right so, so while you make your pick, do you want me to to, to ad lib like Chris Berman in the background with a couple of whoop? <laughs> that would be funny. I always love when he did that Berman. But anyway, so all right, so we got Buccaneers Packers here at three o five p.m. kickoff. The line I'm looking at the line at three and a half right now. You have the same line? I do. Okay. Look, I am not questioning Tom Brady no more. I questioned him in the beginning of the season. It bit me in the ass. So, I am going with my man Tom Brady again. I went with him last week. I went with him the week before. And I am going back to Tom Brady taking that three and a half. Why? I just don't believe in Aaron Rodgers in these big games. I just don't. As great as he could be, there's flaws in these big games with Aaron Rodgers. It's proven. It is proven. I am going back with Tampa. They have run the ball well with Ronald Jones now and Leonard Fournette. A fantastic one-two punch they have going on right now. They have plenty of weapons around. They have Antonio Brown, who avoided a major knee injury. He should be okay for the game. Chris Godwin. Mike Evans, who will not have to be shadowed by Marshawn Lattimore this week. And who knows who Jair Alexander might cover. Maybe, probably Mike Evans. All right, so Antonio Brown. You have Chris Godwin. You have Rob Gronkowski, who I think might have a breakout game this week. And I mean breakout game because he hasn't done much the past couple of weeks. Cameron Brait, who had some big catches last week. So I'm going back to the Buccaneers, whose defense actually played well in that second half. And they forced three turnovers on the Saints. I think they'll be able to force a couple of turnovers again. They were playing aggressive. They were playing. They had a good pass rush. They're very good at stopping the run. Ndamukong Sue in the middle. Stopping the run. He's a boulder. I'm going with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And for Tom Brady to go back to yet another Super Bowl. Taking a second team to a Super Bowl. Tom Brady defeats the Packers. Well, of course, he might lose, but as long as he covers the numbers, what do I care for? Well, what, what is the saying? My, How does the saying go? Good teams will, win, great teams cover. That's right. That will be my two-point pick. What? Because, because my three-point pick is going back to that same game because we're going over the 51 number there. I'm looking at Tom Brady being able to put up at least at least 30 to 35 points on the Packers. Packers defense is not that strong. They're not. They are not. They're not good at stopping the run. I think they'll be able to, to, to run the ball, set up some play action for Tom Brady. They'll be able to hit some players downfield, some wide receivers, and, and Gronkowski tight end, down, down the middle, his tight ends with Cameron Brady. And I think Brady will put up anywhere from 30 to 35. I think the Buccaneers win this game. I'm going to go with 34-30. Outright win. 
puts the number on 64, well over the 51 number. That'll be my three-point pick. So my two-point pick is the Buccaneers. My three-point pick is the over 51. My one-point pick will go into the Bills and Chiefs. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I can't see the Chiefs losing this game. I just can't. I just don't think that the Bills will be able to go shot for shot with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense. I just don't. I don't think they have that good of a running game, the Bills. They have not tried to establish it. Chiefs ran the ball pretty decently, and they ran the ball without Le'Veon Bell. They ran it with Darwin Williams or Darrell Williams, whatever Williams it was. They got so many different Williams and Thompsons on that team. But they ran the ball pretty decently the other day, and they ran it good enough. And you know if it's third and ten, Patrick Mahomes is running for a first down himself. Regardless of whatever injury he had last week, Holmes, Holmes is fearless. Now, you probably have Tredavious White covering Tyreek Hill. That's a beatable matchup for Tyreek Hill. He's almost uncoverable, that guy. Andy Reid will get him in some positive matchups anyway. He'll put him in the slot, wherever way he has to line him up. There's so much motion going on. There's nobody on the Bills defense that can cover Travis Kelsey. He's uncoverable. McCole Hodgman, Byron Pringle. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on with the Chiefs. So I expect the Chiefs to win this game. I expect the Bills to play a good game. But I'm looking at about a 31-20 victory for the Chiefs. And they go on to the Super Bowl. And you have Patrick Mahomes facing Tom Brady. The young man versus the old man. And those are my picks. One-point pick Chiefs. Two-point pick Bucks. Three-point pick, the over 51 in the, in the Buccaneers-Packers game. Andrew, still yours, my friend. Why, thank you. All right. My one-point play. Rob just gave it for you. I think this line is just really, really off. I do. Yeah, Vegas knows best. They wouldn't be in business if everybody won every week. I get it. But I just... I'm not sold on the Bills. I'm not. I know that they were hot coming into the playoffs. They haven't really put it all together and played great, and I don't expect them to do it in Arrowhead Stadium, in the AFC Championship. And that crowd is very, very loud, even though there's limited capacity in there. I just think Patrick Mahomes is going to do enough. He's got a modicum of weapons on on the field with him. I think if you're able to come up with an M, you know, Andy Reid is a lot like Bill Belichick in a way where he finds one part of the other team that he works to shut down. And if you've watched the Bills all year, you know that Stephon Diggs has been the prime reason why that offense has been so explosive. You come up with some way to shut down Stephon Diggs, and I really don't see Josh Allen doing too much damage against Kansas City. And as good as Josh Allen has been, I do think that the, the, the playbook needs to be a little bit creative for him to be at his best. If Kansas City jumps out to a lead, and it's just schoolyard, Josh Allen drop back in the pocket and throw the ball, I don't think they're going to be successful. So, again, I don't expect it to be a blowout, per se, but I do expect the Chiefs to win pretty handily in this game, and so my one-point play is the Kansas City Chiefs minus three. My two-point play. Rob, you're on a roll. You came off a really good week last week. But I got to say, 
Tom Brady experiment in Tampa Bay, it's working better than I could have imagined. And I hate to take picks, and I'm trailing you, so I would love to to be different from you, but I, I think you got it on the nail. I think you hit the nail on the head. I like the Bucks to cover that three and a half. Now, again, I said this last week. When it comes down to a game that I think is a pick 'em, when in doubt, I always take the points. And I think this game is closer to a pick 'em. And the Buccaneers are getting three and the hook. And I think that could be valuable. I'm never going to trust, I'm never going to bet against Tom Brady in a playoff game. Now, he just won against the Saints. And I know the Saints are frauds, and we've been saying that. But we finally saw Tom Brady win a playoff game with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'm not going to bet against them in the playoffs. Yeah, I know they're on the road, but I expect them to do enough to win this game outright. I really do. And we will see what ends up happening with Aaron Rodgers' legacy. And the reason I say what happens with Aaron Rodgers' legacy, because you brought up a good point. If they don't score a lot of points and they lose this game, some questions are going to be concerned. Well, what a segue into my three-point play, because that's exactly what's going to happen, and questions are going to be be brought up about the legacy of Aaron Rodgers, because he's not going to put up a lot of points. And my three-point play is under 51 in the Packers-Buccaneers game. Now, I'm not just doing this to be different and trying to pick up ground. I think under is the play here, and I'll give you a couple reasons why. How do you combat Tom Brady and his offense? Well, you got to run the ball. You got to be able to run the ball and keep him off the field. How do you combat an Aaron Rodgers led offense? Well, you have to run the ball and keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. And what have both of these teams been able to do in their one game in the playoffs so far? Run the ball. Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, they were able to run the ball pretty good. They split carries last week and they were both really effective. Jamal Williams, AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones, they were effective last week against a really good Rams defense. So I expect the ball to be run and milk some clock. Second of all, what do we call Lambeau Field? The frozen tundra. Well, it's going to be cold again. It's going to be about 25 degrees, maybe even colder in Lambeau Field. There's a 70% chance of precipitation at Lambeau Field. So it's going to be a little messy, even more reliant on the running game. And so I believe that it's going to be a tight-knit contest all the way up until the end, and I expect the final score. Honestly, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it goes way under the total. I'm I'm thinking we we have ourselves a a 21-17 game, and the under hits with ease. So Rob and I are the same on our one-point play and our two-point play. But the three-point play is where we differ. He has over 51. I'm going to take under 51. I think this is going to be a battle in the trenches, and we're going to see a low-scoring affair that ultimately culminates in Tom Brady going to another Super Bowl and hopefully losing that Super Bowl because at the end of the day, if I have to see one singular player win more Super Bowls than my favorite team, that's going to sting. That's going to hit me. That's going to hit me where it hurts. So... It's hit anybody that it's hitting anybody that's not a New England or Tom Brady fan where it hurts. <laughs> well, we're, 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 we're tied. For, we're tied for now. We're tied for now. You have to root for Tom Brady. I mean, how do you not root for that guy? No, I, I root mean, against him. I do. It's just amazing what he's doing at the age of forty-three right now, no less. I mean, it's just it's. I listen. His career is obviously off the charts, amazing. But what he's doing this year is. I mean, it's unheard of. And he'll be back next year again. So there was a question today if, if 
if Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl, will he retire? No. You know why? Because Tom Brady wants to win another Super Bowl. Yeah. That's why. Tom Brady will play until the day they have to take a shovel and scoop him off the dirt. The turf, the grass, whatever it may be. So now here's here's a question that we didn't really discuss, and I heard some questions about this, and and I think it's an interesting question. Had Tampa Bay lost last week to New Orleans, is Bruce Arians fired and someone else brought in to work with Brady in year two? You know, that's a that's a good question. But I tell you, you know, I, I hate to say, but I look at Bruce Arians on the sidelines. Man, he does not look healthy. I, I he, you know, he just I, I'm like, man, Bruce, please. The end of the season, go on a diet, get healthy, you know, help yourself here. You know, I, I look at him, but I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, there, there was something that came out yesterday and, and Bruce Arian said it himself. And he said, you know what? I let Tom Brady be the coach. He was never allowed to be a coach. Tom Brady's a coach. He does what he's got to do. He, he could, he could call plays. He could do whatever he wants to do. And that's what Arians lets him do. And I think Tom Brady loves it. And Gronkowski was being interviewed by Willie McGinnis too the other day on Sunday before the game. Oh, uh, this is a you know pre-recorded interview, but you know, he said, Willie, I'm having fun. You know what it's like to hold it basically saying, you know what it's like to be in New England? You can't have fun. I'm having fun. I'm allowed to be myself. And Gronkowski pretty much said, I'm coming back next year. So, you know, it was a guy that was going to retire. So, yeah, it looks like they are having fun there. You know, Arians is kind of a guy that, you know, is he's, he's a player's coach. And, you know, most most of the players do love him. So we'll see what happens. All right, so enough of the football now. So we, now we're going to get into the topic we spoke about earlier. I am going to let my friend Andrew set this up. I am going to let him have his say. And then I'll respond. Okay. So, Andrew, let's change sports. We're going to go to Major League Baseball. We're going to go to our beloved New York Mets. I'm going to let you have at it for whatever you need to do to vent, to say whatever you need to say to make yourself feel better. I'll just sit in the background and I'll wait for you to just give me my cue or I can respond. It's all yours, my friend. All right. So I'm not going to vent. Uh, I am going to display a little bit of frustration. This is probably the first time I've been ticked off uh, during the Steve Cohen era. I think they've done a great job. Uh, but we get news late last night that George Springer signs with the Toronto Blue Jays. It's a six-year, $150 million deal. He's their new center fielder. And the Mets missed out. And it's the first time I've been ticked off because I just thought that George Springer was the perfect fit for this team. They needed a right-handed bat. Springer provides you with that. Uh, he provides you with more power from the right side of the plate, which the Mets don't really possess any power right-handed bats besides Pete Alonso. Uh, he provides you with a center fielder. I know he's 31 years old, and I know that his days in center field are limited, but you got a couple of outfielders in the pipeline, so he would realistically only be playing center field for two seasons. Uh, and he possesses much better defense than Brandon Nimmo does, because I cannot watch Brandon Nimmo play another game in center field. You saw endless amounts of hints and cues from George Springer. First, it was he loves what's going on with the Mets. Yeah, the Mets are cool right now. Then it's he wants to play closer to home. 
Then he said he wants to play in the tri-state area. He just kept dropping hint after hint. He wanted to be a Met. And every single free agent, you know, every Mets fan was foaming at the mouth when Cohen bought the team. Oh, we're gonna, we want Bauer. We want Real Muto. We want LeMahieu. And you never, you know, yeah, the Mets have interest, but they're not going after him. Yeah, they're interested in Real Muto, but they're not going after him. But Springer was the one name that the Mets were they were in on until the very end, and they got outbid by a team that doesn't even know where they're going to be playing their home games next season. And that stings for me. It stings because I just thought that this guy was a perfect fit for the team. Now I get six years, $150 million. Some people, Rob being one of them, we vehemently disagree on this issue. We talked about it off the air. Six years, $150 million. Yeah, it's a lot of money. You're getting it. You're getting an all-star player in George Springer. You have to pay a price. Every single superstar who's ever signed a long-term contract like that it's always for too much money. You're always overpaying for these superstars. You think the Yankees are going to want to pay Garrett Cole $36 million a year in year eight and nine of that contract? No chance. No chance. Look at the final couple years of Albert Pujols' contract. Look at the final couple years of Miguel Cabrera's contract. Every single star player that signs big contracts like this into their late 30s. The last couple years, the last year or two, they're not great. And it's a lot of money. I get it. But you get an all-star center fielder. You went into the offseason knowing that center field was a gaping hole on your roster, and you still haven't addressed it. And you let the best one out there that you were interested in and submitted an offer to and were one of the last two teams standing on, and you got outbid and you missed out on them. So I'm, I'm, I'm ticked off. I am. They let them slip through their fingers, and I'm tired of settling. I understand Jackie Bradley Jr. is out there. Jackie Bradley Jr. stinks. He does. I'm sorry. Yeah, he has a great glove, but he can't hit a lick. He's a career 230 hitter. The guy cannot hit, and I'm tired of, you know, I don't want to go back to same old Mets because obviously this is not same old Mets. It's a totally different regime, but that's what the Mets always used to do. They sacrifice offense for defense. I'm tired of watching the Wild Lagarises of the world who, who can't even hit their body weight. Yeah, they could catch any fly ball in the outfield, but they can't hit. Lagaris was an automatic out. That's what you'd be getting if you signed a guy like Jackie Bradley. That's what you get when you sign a guy like Albert Almora, okay? And if you don't sign one of those guys and you put Nimmo in center field, then, yeah, you have a bat who can hit, and he has a little bit of power, and he gets on base a lot. But anytime there's a fly ball, whether it's routine or not, it's a circus when he goes after it. Why can't you have both? Oh, wait, you can have both. George Springer was out there. Who gives you both of those things? And you got outbid. So, yeah, I- I'm-, I'm ticked off. I thought that was a perfect move, and they let it slip through their fingers. And... I know that you disagree on a couple of those points, but that's the way I feel. I disagree with every single point. I, I just, I, I, I tell you the truth, and you know, I'm a diehard Met. Met fans don't deserve Steve Cohen as their owner. You just don't deserve him. And I'm going to exclude myself out of this because the reaction to the to the non-signing of George Springer to me is ludicrous. How far did you want to go to get George Springer? They overbid. The Mets were overbidding themselves. They offered him five years and $120 million. That's enough. And I think they knew they were overbidding, even with that sort of contract term. Six years, $150 million? Come on. For a guy that's played more right field than he has center field over the last four years. Yes, that's right. He's not a true center fielder. He's an average center fielder. Yes, he's a hell of a bat. He's a hell of a postseason player. But for God's sake, how far do you want to go for the guy? $30 million a year for George Springer? I brought up DJ LeMahieu. He got $90 million. He's and again, that's just a trash point. It's such a bad point. point. He's the same sort of hitter that Springer is. 
And Springer's not a true center fielder. Well, so he's not the same head. George Springer's hit 48 home runs over his past 162 games. It's not even close to DJ LeMayhew. I think LeMayhew is the all-around better player, but they're not the same player at all. Is he $60 million more better than DJ LeMayhew? I mean, come on, let's stop. But let's, let's be honest, though. The, the contract that LeMayhew got from the Yankees... Okay, he would would not have gotten that with any other team. He would have gotten way more than that. The Yankees got a bargain. He took a discount to stay with the Yankees. The Mets went for six years, $175 million, and blew the Blue Jays out of the water. That would make you happy? Would that make you happy? Knowing in turn, you have to sign Conforto, you have to sign Lindor, J Jacob DeGrom has an opt-out after next year in his contract, and what if Syndergaard comes back and pitches well? Another guy you got to sign. What if Stroman comes back and pitches well? Another guy you might want to sign. When does it stop? Steve Cohn went on record as saying, I'm not going to spend like a drunken sailor. And that's not spending like drunken. You keep, and you said that it off the is. air to me that he wasn't going to be irresponsible. Signing George Springer was not irresponsible. It you bring up 170. You bring up $175 million. They would have never had to give him that. They would, all they had to do was match the Blue Jays' offer, match it. And that's not, it's not an unreasonable ask to match that offer it's at $25 unreasonable. million. It's unreasonable when you have other guys that you need to also probably sign or extend. It's unreasonable when you have Cano's contract, which is only void this year, having to come back the next two years at $40 million plus. It's unreasonable. It's got to stop. I mean, it's got to stop with the Mets fans today. It, it was, they made every, every one of you guys made it sound like the Mets did nothing. They were the most active team in the major leagues, maybe besides the Padres. The most active team. Is it not good enough that you got Francisco Lindor for basically nothing? You got Trevor May. You got James McCann. I mean, you know, listen, we went on sign, guys. I was hearing today, well, they settled for McCann. No, they did not. They weren't going to spend $100 million on a catcher with bad knees at the age no, of 31. And, and that that is that is reasonable because let's be honest, okay? Over the past two seasons, James McCann and JT Realmuto have put up exact statistics. So, yeah, you're getting the same type of player for $60 million less. Okay, so, yes. Springer is not is not an everyday center fielder. Again, he played more right field than he did center field for the Astros. He is not the greatest glove out there. Is he better than Nimmo? Yes, he's better than Nimmo. But Brandon Nimmo, I guarantee you, will not be a center fielder opening day on the New York Mets. It's January 20th. Could you allow the Mets to make other moves before everybody overreacts to Springer? Because I'm telling you right now, if they get bread hand and if they sign Jackie Bradley whether you like it or not Jackie Bradley would be hitting ninth in this order so let's stop that he's a 230 hitter he's a gold glove center fielder so was Juan Lagares and everybody hated him because he couldn't Juan hit Lagares and he's a better hitter than Jackie Bradley Jr. fifth and sixth for the Mets Jackie Bradley Jr. being ninth so your point where did, where did, no basis what do you mean where, where did Juan Lagares hit in the Mets order where did he hit he was hitting fifth, sixth. Sometimes he was in leadoff. No, was, come on. Stop it. Stop it. You're just lying. He was a nine hitter, and he stunk. He was, he, he was an automatic out every time he came up to the plate. And that's what Jackie Bradley is. He's a 230 hitter. He's an automatic out. In 2014, in his gold glove year, the Met lineup sucked. It wasn't a great lineup. 
It was a below average lineup. In 2015, when they went to the World Series, their average, their lineup sucked. They brought up Conforto early in the season when everybody was screaming for them to bring him up because the Mets needed hitting. Juan Lagares was, was, was being counted on to hit more than 250, 260, 270, which he couldn't do. We understand. Jackie Bradley Jr. will be hitting ninth in this lineup. Ninth. You look at this lineup. You're going to tell me you can't go to you can't go to battle opening day with 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 McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo, Conforto, McCann, JD Davis. I mean, come on, it keeps on going on and on. God, I mean, it, Dominic Smith. I mean, come on. I mean, let's stop. It's, would that lineup be better with George Springer? Of, would it be Would it be better if I put my trout in it too? Of course it would be. But at what price did you do? You want to lose Conforto? Do you want to lose? Let me ask you a question. Do you want to lose Conforto? I, I'll I'll answer it and say no, I don't. And I'll also say that I, even without Springer, they're not bringing him back. I'll bet any amount of money that they don't bring Conforto back. He's a Boris client. He's not signing an extension. He's going to hit the free agent market. And a player like that in this analytically driven baseball world is going to get top dollar on a free agent market. I am guaranteeing you Steve Cohn would not allow Michael Conforto to walk out that doors. I'm guaranteeing you that he will be signed possibly even before opening day. I'm guaranteeing you that. Okay, and I how much money he's going to get? He's going to get the same contract that George Springer got. And he's Maybe four years more. younger. He's four years younger. Let's stop. George Springer would be a right fielder by next year. He's not a center fielder. He'd be a corner outfielder by next year. He's a corner outfielder as it was. I told you that the last four years, you look at the numbers. He's more of a corner outfielder than he is a center fielder. So let's stop with all this rhetoric about George Springer. Okay, yeah, he was a perfect fit. But at what price did we have to match six years for 150? If George Springer wanted to be here, he would have took the five years, 120 million. Like LeMahieu took a cheaper contract from the Yankees. If he really wanted to be here and be close to home and play close to Connecticut, he would have took less money. Period. Stop. He didn't. So where would the Mets have to go? They would have to overbid? In order to bring George Springer in, because it's going to satisfy all the Met fans. No, I'm not saying you had to make the move to satisfy fans. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you make the move because your team is exponentially better if you had Springer on a team by spending that amount of money. It's not irresponsible. First of all, let's not forget too all this talk about staying underneath the luxury tax. Did we forget? That the basic agreement is up after this season and the t luxury tax resets so the penalties are not hefty. It, now, I'm not saying not he has about to have a $300 the million dollar payroll, but that's a non-factor. What did I tell you three weeks ago? I told you Steve Cohn will not throw his money around wildly. I told you that. And that's not, not that's not throwing it away wildly, it, though. You're, it, you're acting it, like they signed a bum for six years, $150 million. Springer's not a bum. He's a perennial all-star who would immediately be slotted into the middle of the order and hit 30-plus home yeah. runs and, and drive three, in 85-plus RBIs. Now, three years from now, all you guys will be bitching about the George Springer contract. You should all be bitching about it. Where are we going to put Springer? He's 35 years old, blah, blah, blah. He's only hitting 12 homers. I mean, come on, let's stop. And not only that, but could you allow them to finish this offseason off? Because you know they're bringing in other players here, whether it be by trade or whether it be by free agency. They are bringing in other players. When is it going to be enough? Let's if, when they bring those players in. 
when they oh, bring those players oh, well, in. You guys, you you sound like little spoiled bitches, all you Met fans. That's all I'm seeing on Twitter. Yourself, you all sound spoiled all of a sudden. Wow, I'm not spoiled. Bridge, George Springer was the primary target this offseason, and they and they got outbid and by they him. Got so in the now. Lindor. They got Lindor. Were you expecting them to get Lindor? I wasn't. No, and it's, okay, it's so great they got, they got Lindor. I'm not knocking every move they made because they didn't buy Springer. All I'm saying is right now, in the now, I wanted George Springer, and they didn't get him, and I'm annoyed well, by I the fact him. that they didn't get him. Stomp up and down. I want it. It's like a child at Christmas that didn't get his toy. Stomp up and down. Give him a chance. Maybe they're going to make a great – another. maybe they're going to bring a Nolan Arenado. Maybe they're going to do that because let me tell you something. They can do it if they can offset some of the bad contracts like Cano and Familia and other guys like that. Maybe they're going to do that. But could you allow them the opportunity to finish this? I will offseason? allow them the opportunity if they do that. Then I'll eat my words. That's fine. But I'm t- I'm, I'm giving you an I'm giving you an initial reaction. George Springer was on the market. The Mets wanted him. I wanted him to be a Met, and he's not a Met. So my initial reaction is that I'm annoyed by it. If they didn't get Francisco Lindor, you'd have a point. If they got outbid, you I'd be with you 100% lockstep. But they got Francisco Lindor, who's going to be a $35 million a year player. They got Conforto, who they're going to have to resign. Do I have to go through this again? They're probably going to wind up maybe even extending Pete Alonso at some point. And Jeff McNeil and probably buy out some of their earlier years, buy out some of those arbitration free agent years. They might have plans on doing that. You don't know that yet. So let's allow them to go through the process, for God's sake. And let's stop with George Springer already. My God, this team is built to win right now. You're acting acting as if they signed George Springer and you would be, like, fuming about it. That that was a terrible move. Well, first of all, I didn't. I told. What did I tell you when you when you went through that rapid fire a few weeks ago? You asked me what George Springer was going to be, and I told you the Mets are not going to sp- over overspend on George Springer. He's going to the Red Sox. Okay, wrong team, right division. I told you he would not be a Met. I told you that over three weeks ago in the receipts on the podcast. It's well, that's there. great. You said he was not. He's you said he's not going to be a Met. Uh, kudos for predicting that. It doesn't make me. Not want him to be a Met because you said he wasn't going to be a Met. He would not be worth that sort of money. He's not a true center fielder. If he was Jackie Bradley Jr. with those numbers, I'd say yes. Go get him then. Go get him. All right, so I'll tell you this right now. I will tell you this right now. And if you ever complain, let's just put this hypothetical out here. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a Met next season. That's fine with me. He's Okay, okay, let let me finish. Let me finish. You're not even letting me finish. You have no idea what I'm going to say. I will call you out for being a fraud if at any point during the season Jackie Bradley gets up with runners in scoring position and doesn't get a hit. If you ever complain, you have no right to complain, and I'll call you out for it. You have no right. He's hitting ninth. What can you expect? Your non-hitter comes up with runners in scoring position. Eighth or ninth in this lineup. I I want Jackie Bradley Jr. What did I tell you about the Mets? And what did I tell you? What what question did I ask Tim, Tim Healy? Three, four months ago when we interviewed him. What was the one thing, and I've, I've told you this for months on this podcast, improved the team defense. That's all I want to see. And Jackie you're, Brandy, you're missing Jr. the point. You're at, Again, you're missing the point. Yes, Springer's best asset is his bat, but you put him in center field, and he's 10 times better than Brandon Nimmo. I don't care if he plays center field for, I don't care. for five you're years. Not, or if he I plays understand that. Are you going to tell me Jackie Bradley Jr. isn't better than Brandon Nimmo? He's better than Brandon Nimmo. Yes, he's better than Brandon Nimmo, but he's an automatic out. I'm tired of watching. I don't care if you're hitting ninth. I don't care if you're hitting first. 
He is not a automatic out. Four years ago, the guy was an all-star. Hit 270. He had 26 homers. Last year in a shortened season, he hit 280. He had 15 homers. He was a gold glove. He is not an automatic out. He's a 320 career on base percentage guy. Let's let's stop with the automatic out. He's going to be an eight or a nine here in this lineup if the Mets sign him. Period. Stop. But you That's what it's going again, to be. You're, you're- you're settling, right? You're settling. I'm not. I'm not it's, being spoiled. So not, there's so difference between settling and being so spoiled. Let's just sign an all-star to every single position because that's how you want it. I want an that's all-star. Not, to every again, single you're, position. you're taking it to I'm the extreme. You sound, you, you sound very silly. You sound very silly. You're taking it to silly. the extreme. Saying, we're settling. No, we're not settling. We're making a move based on. No, you are settling because you're saying he's going to be the ninth hitter. What what difference no, does it make? Settling when you got Francisco Lindor and Trevor May and James McCann. How? Are you settling? You cannot have an all-star at every single position. You can't go signing every I single. No, but this what they were in on him. It's not like it's not like they weren't interested in him. They were in on him and made offers to him, and they got outbid. They were seriously interested. I think the extra bump in money is worth it when you're getting a player like that. And if they didn't think it was worth it, they wouldn't have even listened. They would not have. If you're saying that Jackie Bradley Jr. is fine, the Mets would have never even given him that initial offer. They thought Springer was a fit on this team. And if he was that much of a fit on this team, which he was, they should have signed him. At a certain price. They had a certain budget they were going to allow on George Springer, and they probably even over-exceeded it by offering him the five for 120. They probably even over-exceeded that. And all of a sudden, what happened? The Blue Jays had to come in and give him $30 million more. So where did the Mets come in now? All right, yeah, it's only $5 million more a year, but it's a six-year, $150 million contract. I don't feel he's worked it. Period. I don't need to have an all-star at every single position. I don't need to feel like the Mets are settling because maybe they got Jackie Bradley Jr. and Brad Hand. Are they settling then if they sign those two guys? Are they settling? They improve their bullpen with a left-hander like Brad Hand, a closer. Do Are they settling that they're putting a gold glove center fielder out in center field? All right, he's a 240, 250 hitter, but he doesn't suck. Are they settling? They're not settling. They're making their team more complete because I'm telling you right now, if they sign Springer, you are not getting bullpen help. And I'd rather have the bullpen help because that's just the way the game is going now. We have enough bats in our lineup. We have plenty of bats. In fact, they might even make a trade now. You're hearing that Eugenio Suarez and Sonny Gray are on the block that right now for the Reds. And what do the Reds need more than anything? They're looking for a shortstop. What do the Mets have? Oh, Ronnie Mauricio. So maybe a deal with Mauricio and Brandon Nimmo and J.D. Davis will suffice for the Reds. Now you have Sonny Gray coming in as a fourth starter. I don't, yeah, I don't want any part of Sonny Gray, to be honest with you. I don't worry about him pitching in New York because if you look at his splits, when he pitched with the Yankees, yeah, he sucked at Yankee Stadium, but he was terrific on the road. He's going to be a fourth starter on the Mets. I'm not worried about Sonny Gray. Suarez would be fine at third base. Young, controllable third baseman. He's a good glove. He's a good bat. No problem with a deal like that. I'd have no problem. If they made a deal like that, you'd shut up tomorrow. I mean, come on. Let's just shut up and let, let the process play out. My no, but God. I'm, I'm not going to shut up and just let the whole offseason go by. I'm, I'm allowed to have an opinion about when something first happens, and that's all I'm saying. Initially, when this happens, I'm ticked off about it. Now, as the rest of the offseason unfolds, if that $25 million a year or whatever it, the math equates to that they were going to offer to Springer, if they spend that $25 million elsewhere and get a guy like Brad Hand and really bolster that bullpen and make moves in other places, then you know what? Then I'm happy with it. I'm not going to sit around and pout all offseason because they didn't get George Springer. But at the end of the day, we don't know what they're doing with that money we have no idea 
you, and so I, you I agree, you do have to let the process play out. But in the initial reaction, I'm not going to sit here like a mute and, and just wait for the whole off season to pan out. I'm going to give you my opinion in a moment. They didn't get blind to, about it. You're blind to this entire off season because if you think that he's going to sit there with that extra twenty-five to thirty million dollars that he's saving right now by not signing Springer and not using using it, you're out of your you're out of your flipping brain. I, I never said that they wouldn't. I never said that they wouldn't. I'm just giving you, I don't know what you don't understand. I feel like I'm talking to a brick wall. In the in my initial reaction, I wanted Springer. They didn't get him, and I'm ticked off at the way the process unfolded. If that money is allocated elsewhere, which it probably will be, but I want to see the moves that are made. If they make other moves elsewhere, and the team is a, is a lot better, and they're reasonable moves, and they make the team a lot better, then you know what? I'll be happy. It's not a matter of if. It's when they make those moves, because they will make moves. Trust me when I tell you this. And what's going to happen? And, and, and I tell you right now, I don't want to hear the bitching and moaning if somehow, someway, the Angels or the Blue Jays give Brad Hand four or five years and $75, million. Do Please do not bitch about that. Well, no, that's completely unreasonable. Right. That's, that's, not, that's not even realistic. I don't they, they would never do that. bitching about that. And I don't want to hear they got outbid. They, didn't, they wouldn't have gotten outbid. They were smart to avoid that. Because I don't want to hear that because now you're hearing that the Angels are in play for Brad Hand. You're hearing that the Blue Jays are in play for Brad Hand. Maybe the Dodgers are in play. So you know what? I ain't getting into a bidding war for a middle reliever right now. I am not. It ain't happening. So please, if they if they lose out on Brad Hand, unless somehow, some way, it's a two-year, $30 million deal, but it's going to be more than probably what Liam Hendricks got. Because now all of a sudden you're seeing other teams come into play for Brad Hand. Let's not bitch and moan about that either. Let's just take a backseat to that. Because there are certain times where you have to walk away. Because it's just not the right value for the player. It's just not. So let's use our heads here. So I'm only setting you up for this. Because they might not get Brad Hand. Because if somebody wants him bad enough. Once again like the Blue Jays did with Springer. Because the Blue Jays were getting spurned left, right, and sideways. And they got spurned by Brantley today. He went back to Houston when all from all accounts. He was rumored to be signing with the Blue Jays. They had to overpay for Springer, and they might want to overpay for Brad Hand too, just to make you know make their off seasons feel better. And that's fine if they're going to. They're going to. I don't need that. I don't need it. So be prepared for that, because I don't want to hear these Met fans all coming out bitching and moaning. We got outbid again. So every single time that we lose out on a player, we got outbid. No, we don't value the player at that cost. That's what it is. They didn't get outbid. Nobody's gonna outbid Steve Cohn's money. Nobody is. But at some point, you have to be a little frugal here. You have to be a little smart and put the value on the player, for God's sake. Let's stop with this. Let's stop. And again, let the process play out. Give them a chance. It's January 20th. We still got another month for pitches and catches, for God's sake. There's going to be other moves the Mets are going to make. Yes, there will be. And there might be three, four, five other moves, whether it be trade, free agency, whatever it may be. Could we let it play out? Let's calm the whole George Springer hysteria down a little bit. It's got to calm down. Well, this again, is great. It's, it's not hysteria. It's, it's hysteria. It's, it's hysteria not hysteria. Again, you're you're like, I don't know if you're doing it for radio, like you're just taking it to the absolute extreme. Radio. I read enough about this and heard enough between Twitter, social media, uh, uh, um, um, the radio today, Met fans calling up about being out big. Okay, that's that's great. I don't I don't know what they have to do with me. I, you're lumping me into the same equation as some other people. I don't I don't 
You're basically saying the Mets got outbid. They never got outbid. They put the value on the player. That was their value. They weren't going to exceed that value because I think they already exceeded the value of him. They already said, all right, we really don't want to go for five for 120, but if we have to, we'll do that. How if do you, you know that that happened, though? You, know, you have no idea. That's just well, speculation. That's what that's what was speculated. That's what I'm going on. And I, that's what I do believe. And I do believe that Sandy, I believe that Steve Cohen said, listen, if you, I think he went to Sandy Alderson and he said, I believe, uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I think Steve Cohen went to Sandy Alderson and said, listen, if you feel he's worth the six years for 150 million, then go do it. I don't think Steve Cohen denied Sandy Alderson. I think there was, this was Sandy Alderson's call and his call only and said, you know what, Steve? I don't think he's worth the six for 150. If we want to offer him five for 120, he takes that. Let's see if he bites. If he doesn't, then we walk away. Because I don't think Steve Cohn would have a problem with shelling out the money. So the narrative about the Mets being outbid is the wrong narrative. I think, the, again, I think Sandy Olison was the one that walked away from this. And fine. I mean, by definition, they got outbid. That's exactly what happened. They did not get outbid. How are you getting up bit if you feel like the value of the player isn't worth what what he's getting paid? When you when you go to auction for something and someone offers a higher price than you, you got outbid. Whether it's because you don't value the, the item at the same getting price outbid. or you don't getting have outbid. the money to, whatever the case is, you're getting outbid. Their bid was higher than yours. The Blue Jays were desperate to sign somebody. They got spurned so many times in this offseason on free agents that they had to go the extra mile for him. Yeah, but that's where I think that you're off base because I don't look at that Springer contract and say, whoa, that's a desperation move. I, I, I don't see that. Like, So that's we where we differ. I don't look at that contract and think it's completely Springer. unreasonable. I don't. Me? I think anytime you sign a star, anytime you sign a star, which George Springer is, he's an all-star, anytime you sign a player like that, the number is going to be higher than once you, what you initially thought. The only time ever that that has happened where the number was lower than you initially thought was with DJ LeMahieu. And you were using DJ LeMahieu as the blueprint when that's a complete outlier. That's never happened before. So it's, only when it, it's only happened when teams go back to the team that they originally played for. He didn't that's take it. that much of a hometown disco, DJ, DJ LeMahieu. The offers were not out there for whatever reason. And you're going to tell me that George Springer is a $60 million a play, a more a, a sixty million dollars more value than DJ LeMahieu? It's out of that's that's out of line. It's out of line. But again, it's out of line. You, you're you're the logic is flawed on that because DJ LeMahieu's contract, let's call it how it is. It's four years and ninety million dollars is what it is. And the Yankees tacked on the extra two years and said, "Listen, we're up against it. We're gonna spread out the contract to two more years. The ninety million dollars." DJ LeMahieu's asking price from everything you read was four years, $90 million. That's all you're looking at. You're looking at- No, because if $90 million over four years was what DJ LeMahieu's asking price was, okay? If you spread that amount of money, that AAV over six years, it comes out to, oh, gee, I don't know, six years, $150 million. It's the same contract. It's the same thing. It's 90 and 160, 150, no matter how you look at it. I don't care how it's spread out. That's just what? It's just not true. It is true. How much is DJ LeMahieu making on his contract? $90 million? How much is Joe Springer making? $150 million. That's just And again, that's just, you're wrong. It's just extremely flawed. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's, it's not flawed. It's, it's very flawed. flawed. I just pointed out why it's flawed. It's, it's not flawed. It's, it's a $15 million a year contract. You're saying, well, they just gave him the other two years. Well, no, they gave it to him. They're still giving him another 
you know, 50, 90 million dollars. That's what they gave him. His contract is 90 million dollars. He is not 60 million dollars uh, less a player than George Springer. That's all it comes down to. George Springer is getting six for 150. D.L. Mayhew is getting six for one for 90. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't, again, it's flawed because just because D.J. signed a six-year $90 million value does not mean that D.J. LeMahieu is only worth $90 million. That just happened to be what the Yankees got him for, for whatever the case may be. Why didn't other teams offer him more? Why didn't some team come and offer him $115 million, $125 million? For all we know that they did, we don't know. He was going well, back to the Yankees. D.J. LeMahieu turned down $35 million a year so he can go back to play with the Yankees because George Springer didn't do that for the Mets. He and was George not Springer never played for the Mets. DJ Lemay, you played for the Yankees. Again, DJ it's totally Mayhew, different. You're like DJ grasping Mayhew at nothing. Would, would not give up another $15, $20 million a year to go to go back to play with the Yankees. That is not happening, my friend. If you think that's happening, then you're living in a Willy Wonka world right now. You're in no. Fantasy. What I'm I, again, I, I think I talk and you just you craft what your response is going to be before you even listen to what I'm saying because you just you, you're grasping at things that aren't like responsive to what I'm saying. DJ Lemayhew was asking for four years, ninety million dollars. Okay. Now, I don't know. I, not, let me, again, let me finish. This, this is why. This is why. This is why I feel like I'm talking to a wall because you're not listening to what I'm saying, and you probably have a different response once I explain what I'm saying. He asked for four years, ninety million dollars. Okay, whether there were offers out there or not, that was his asking price: four years, ninety million dollars, which average annual value is the same that George Springer got. Okay. I'm not saying that he got six years, 150 from anybody. I never said that. But the average annual value of that contract is not, is is the same as George Springer, right? The Yankees gave him the 90 million dollars, and when it came down to crossing T's and dotting I's, they said, "Listen, we're up against the luxury tax here. Okay, it would really help us out if we brought that average annual value down a little bit. So we're." Would it be cool if we added an extra two years onto your contract just to spread that average annual value? He's still getting the same amount of money that he asked for. He wasn't going to turn that down. The only thing that he did was help the Yankees out because it gives them more flexibility on a year-by-year basis. The $150 million to $90 million argument is flawed because the average annual value is exactly the same. And guess what? If DJ LeMahieu was asking for a six-year six contract, he would have got the $150 Fifty million dollars because that's what he—that's what he's worth. Average annual value. You add two years onto that ninety million dollar contract, and that's what he would have gotten from a team on the open market. But he wasn't asking for a six-year deal. Where's the offers? Then where was the where was the five-year, one hundred and twenty-five million dollar offer from another team? Where was it? There was none. There was none. Zero offers. He would have have to do with anything. He would have taken that offer. I, I never, I, I, he, he would have, yes, and it wasn't offered. I'm not saying it was. I don't understand your point. He is being valued at far less a player than what George Springer is. Right. And I, and at this and point right now, at this point right now, I'm taking the postseason aside right now. Taking the postseason aside. And I understand that as a basis. But in order for George Springer to produce in a postseason, you have to be in a postseason. But just for a, a regular season, DJ LeMahieu is just as valuable as George Springer, especially for the fact that George Springer is only an average center fielder. And for the most part, he's going to play the corner outfield. So let's let's take that out of the equation with this whole thing that he's a center fielder. He's a center fielder. You see, you see the, 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 the numbers. He's more of a corner outfielder than he is a center fielder. DJ LeMahieu plays first. He plays second. He plays third. He's a tremendous hitter. He's a right-handed hitter. 
to me, I'd almost say, okay, I'd sign LeMayu over Springer at this point right now in their careers. And I would I mean, disagree with that, but here's where the difference is, okay? any other offers to DJ LeMayu. That was it. There was no other this, offers on the this table. Is, this is the bottom line, okay? The Blue Jays gave Springer six years, $150 million. Oh, right? themselves. And, the, and the Yankees gave LeMayu six years, 90, okay? The way that you're looking at things is saying Toronto massively overpaid for Springer because look at they what LeMayu got. They did. But look at the other side of the coin. What if Springer and LeMayu are both worth what Springer got and the Yankees just got him for an insane bargain, which is the f- side that I fall towards? This is this is this is what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? Like DJ, just because DJ LeMay you got that contract does not mean that Toronto overpaid for Springer. Maybe the Yankees just got him on an absolute bargain, whether there were offers out there or not. We know what LeMayhew was worth, and the contract he got is not even close to being what he's worth. We can both agree on that. I'll never agree with that logic. To me, George Springer was overpaid by the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays had to overpay him. And would again, you would you agree with the logic that LeMay what LeMayhew got, he's worth Way more than what he got. Way more than what he got. Of course he is. That's my that, point. That, that, no, that's my point. Thank you. That's my, my point. point. My Thank point you. is he's being undervalued, LeMayhew. He was undervalued, but he's a $60 million player less than George Springer? Are you kidding me? I've been telling you that the whole time. I've been saying that. He's To me, they're on equal footing as far as I'm concerned right now. Why is it that Toronto overpaid, not that the Yankees underpaid? What That doesn't make any sense. This is why the logic is so flawed. Like you're, How is the logic flawed? How is the you're logic saying, flawed? You just said yourself that DJ LeMahieu is not being valued the same way that George Springer when they should. So that means that Springer should be undervalued just like LeMahieu? Like, no, that doesn't make any no, they sense. Should be, they should be on an even par. They, they Those contracts should have been... I don't care what I don't care that it went to six years. The Yankees. The bottom line is he got six years, ninety million. Springer got six years, one hundred and fifty million. All your other logic with the four years, ninety million, but they tacked on to average annual value, luxury tax. Listen, like you said too, the luxury tax means shit because the collective bargaining agreement is up, and that luxury no, it, tax. No, it doesn't mean it. No, 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 no. That again, that's just completely wrong because the Yankees are repeat offenders. So the 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 the. Luxury tax penalty would be heftier than it would be for just your normal. Like, I understand, it like the Mets going over it for the first time. Like the bargaining agreement is up. That but luxury. worried about the penalties this year. You're talking about probably one more year of luxury tax the Yankees might have to pay because after this year, it's going to be out the window. That luxury tax, you can you can guarantee it, especially what's happened in this pandemic. Because there's no way they're going to allow these teams to pay that sort of luxury tax anymore, losing the money that they've lost or not making the money that they've made in the past however way people want to put it. But that's going to be out the door anyway. So let's face it. Bottom line is everybody's got to stop with the hysteria over George Springer already. Let's just stop. It's sickening. It really is because the offseason the Mets have had, you know what all you Mets fans did? You know what you just did? You are ruining the offseason. You are ruining all the goodwill and all the good joy of starting with a new owner, with new ownership, with, with new people in place, and getting rid of the old people in place that destroyed this franchise and this organization, and bringing in Lindor and Trevor May and James McCann and all the goodwill and Marcus Stroman coming back at $18 million a year and all the goodwill we have. You all ruined it because you all had a cry about George Springer. You all ruined it. 
everything was ruined up until that point. It was all Joy and Metville, but no, we didn't get our George Springer. So all of a sudden now, this offseason sucks. We did nothing. Again, it's I don't unreal. know where you're getting. I don't know where you're getting that from. I, I'm, I getting just from I'm getting it from you and everybody else. You I never, got you never got that from me. So you're just making stuff up now. You never I'm got that from me. I'm not sitting here. I never sat here. I never, ever, ever. And this podcast will be up in the morning. You can listen to it again and get back to me and say, you know what? Sorry, I made a mistake because you didn't say that. Oh, I never I sat here and said that the sky was falling. All I said was all I said from the very beginning was I wanted George Springer to be a Met. And I did not think that the contract that he got from Toronto was unreasonable enough for the Mets to match it. That's what I said. And I was ticked off because that's the first time that I wanted something and thought it was a perfect fit, and the Mets didn't get it. I never said the offseason was a failure. I never said the sky is falling. I never said Steve Cohen sucks, should sell the team. Sandy needs to be... I never said any of these things, but you lumped me in with, you know, Joe in Bergen County who, like, went off the rails on the radio today. I don't care what he said. I Don't lump me in with them. I don't know what they said. I wasn't That's listening to what they said. I don't feel the way that they do. Off. I've been legitimately pissed off during the Cone era. He was the perfect fit. Legitimately pissed off during the Coney. Right, era. that's what I just said. I just said that to you. Thanks okay. for repeating it. That's what I said. Well, I was pissed me, off. That's me. You want to be disappointed? Be a little disappointed. Being pissed off? Let's stop. Let's stop. They've done enough to Mets so far right What's now. What's the they, difference? There's no stop. difference. Pissed off, disappointed, mad. Uh, guess what? Two days from now, maybe I'll get over it. But that's my initial reaction. He was a perfect fit for this team, and they didn't get him. So was I was annoyed Trout. about it. So Mike Trout. Let's go get him too. But Mike, Mike Trout's not available again. You're just, you're just, oh my God, you sound silly. This is why I said you sound silly. Let's go get him too. Everybody's a perfect fit. There's a hundred different, Trevor Bauer's a perfect fit for this team too. Let's cry about not getting him too. Let's cry about not getting Trevor Bauer. He's a perfect he's not. fit in this rotation. He's not. No? Again, he's not. I, I don't know where you're getting this from. This is. Well, I'm just, I'm saying this is the rhetoric. Let's stop with the perfect fits. He was, he would have been a good fit. Yes, but we're forgetting that you got Francisco Lindor. Jesus Christ. Oh my Let's God. Stop. But this is why perfect fit. Stop. No, he was a perfect fit. Do we need a center fielder? Yes. Do we need a, a right-handed bat Did in the lineup? Yes. Stop? Did we need a shortstop? Oh no. Andre Jimenez was, uh, you know. I mean, let's stop with the Andre no, Jimenez. Again, I, I had this conversation with my father. The Mets realistically didn't need a shortstop. Lindor why? is a massive why? Why? upgrade over why? Jimenez, but they why? didn't need a shortstop. Why? Why? Well, Andre Jimenez is is all of a sudden he's uh, he's no, again. I never said that. But if we went into the season minus the Lindor trade, question. you How went into you... the season. No, no, no. Let me let me say this before you ask me any question. If you went into this season, this before the Lindor trade, if you went into the 2020 season and Andre Jimenez was your shortstop. Are you okay with that? Oh, no, we're settling, though. No, we're settling with Andre Jimenez at shortstop. Oh, that's dopey. Come on. Stop. Why is it dopey? You sound like a fool. Come dopey? on. What has Andre Jimenez done for you to prove that he should be the starting shortstop of the Mets? What is oh, he, he hasn't He hasn't done much, but I'm going to give the kid a chance. Okay, it wasn't a need. We're we settling for Andre Jimenez, then. We're settling for him. We're not settling. He was a oh, number one no, prospect are. in our system. We're giving no, him a chance we, to play shortstop. They saw an opportunity to massively upgrade, and they did. We went okay. into the offseason not saying that we you need a shortstop, but we went into the season saying we need a center fielder. There's and a we huge needed, difference. We needed a shortstop. We needed to improve the up-the-middle defense, which yeah. has been piss poor for the last six, seven, eight, nine years. And we improved it with Lindor, a platinum glove, 
at shortstop. McNeil is a better second baseman than he is at any other position that he plays. McCann is an above-average defensive uh, catcher. And if we do get Jackie Bradley Jr., he's an above-average center fielder. Your defense will be fixed exponentially. Exponentially. They will, it will, you, you will win games on your defense alone this year. Alone, where we were giving up four or five outs an inning constantly for how many years? You watched it. How many years have we been giving up outs in innings because our, our defense stunk? How many years? For years. Now we'll be saving runs. We'll be, you know what? We won't be taxing guys like Jacob DeGrom to, to, to throw extra pitches in an inning because of poor defense. We won't be. Guys, I'll okay, be. So throwing- he- Here's a here's a question, and this is completely hypothetical. Okay, I know you said they're gonna go out and get a center fielder. Let's just say for for you know just for argument's sake here that they don't, because I'm genuinely curious how you would feel about this. This has nothing to do with our disagreement on the issue. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Lindor at shortstop and Nimmo in center, or Springer in center and Jimenez at shortstop? Lindor every day of the week. They have nobody like that. Nobody. He's 27 years old. He's got power. He's got speed. He's got energy and enthusiasm. He's infectious. He's a leader. Every single... I'm not saying George Spring is not a leader, but Lindor has every quality you want in a superstar player. And George Spring is 31. Francisco Lindor is 27. Shortstop is just as important as center field. Just as important, if not even more important. It, it's not even a question, not even a question, because if you were polled in December and said, well, the Mets are going to get either Francisco Lindor or George Springer, who would you want? Come on. To me, it's a no brainer. I don't care what the fit is. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather Lindor. Yeah. OK, it's not even a question. Yeah. And you got him and you gave up nothing. Zero. Yeah. And I agree with all that. And that was great. It was fantastic. Okay. I was over the moon when I got Francisco. Good. I also wanted Springer. I mean, let's stop. Let's stop what I also wanted. We got a we got a, a lot more than what you even expected in this offseason. A lot right. more. But again, because t- to me, in my opinion, and this is not being spoiled, right? To me, I think that that's settling. Every single time you have an, you have an opinion about someone the Mets should get, and now if they don't get that player, for whatever the reason is, you're going to fall back on, well, they got Lindor, and that's more than we expected. To me, that's what settling. No one's saying that. No, that's not said. Here's the problem. Everybody thought that Steve Cohen was going to come in and throw around $400 million and, and, just, and, just, and just buy a team. First of all, I, I knew he wasn't going to do that. I don't, I don't want to buy a team. I do not want to buy a winner. I want to develop and build a winner. That's what I want. I want to build a winner. I don't want to have an all-star bought at every single position. That's me. I don't want that. I don't need it. I don't want it. You could build a team a million different ways. I don't want it built by just throwing around money irresponsibly. And that's how I would feel bringing in Springer. I feel like, eh, all right, yeah, we got Springer. Wonderful. But not at that price, because I tell you the truth, if it comes to having Conforto long-term and Jackie Bradley Jr. over George Springer, well, you give me Conforto long-term and Jackie Bradley Jr. And you're talking about Jackie Bradley Jr. probably getting a one-year contract at best. 
He's getting a one-year contract. So, you know, you could deal with him for one year. You could deal with him for one year. One year is not going to kill anybody because you don't need he he you don't need his bat to carry you in a lineup. Whatever you get out of him is a plus as far as his bat's concerned. And he's had a couple of years in which he's produced offensively. My point is the way you said that proves my point for me. You just said one year of Jackie Bradley Jr. is not going to kill you. So you're acknowledging that that's not that good. You're acknowledging that that's not that good, and that's settling. That's my point. It's going to be a one-year contract. I'm telling you, do not fret over the fact that Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to be your, your center fielder for the next five years. He's going to be here for maybe one or two years. That's what he's going to be here for. He'll be a stopgap. That's it. So what am I acknowledging? I'm not acknowledging nothing. Because you, you're, you're saying you could deal with Jackie Bradley Jr. for a year. You're like you're saying it in a in a tone in which, come on, I mean, oh, yeah, we could, we could deal with that's, we could deal with him for a your, year. That's your narrative. I never did. You ever expect Jackie Bradley Jr. to get a three, four, five year contract from the Mets? You're out of your mind. I it's never a said that deal. again. I don't know where you're getting that from. Where are you pulling these things because from? You're saying you're you're even acknowledging Jackie Bradley. No, I'm acknowledging the fact that he'd be my center fielder this year. I'm worried about this year. That's why I know, but I'm worried. The way about. you said it, you said you could deal with Jackie Bradley Jr. for I a year. It's not going to kill anybody. That's right. what you said. Those were your. That, that's what you said verbatim. So what? so what? What does that mean? What's your narrative here? Where where are you? Where's your narrative going here? Because my narrative is I can live with Jackie Bradley Jr. here. I can I can live with him for two years here. He gives me the gold glove center field. I can live with him for two years here. And his bat that you say is so terrible. He is far from Juan Lagares. He is better than Juan Lagares. Let's let's stop with, with his, that. With his career batting average, that's four. I don't care about career batting average. He's a better hitter. Juan Lagares never hit any 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 anything more than 10 homers in a year. Jackie Bailey Jr. put over 20 homers three years in his career. So let's stop. He's not that bad. He's a 320 on base percentage. Lagares was 250. I mean, let's stop with that okay, narrative. But then you, you brought up the down base percentage. Meanwhile, the, your first complaint about Nimmo, oh, he gets on base, big deal. But then anytime I, I someone else has a, has a high on base percentage, Nimmo. that's your number one ammunition to say how good he is. He's, he's, he's playing a center field position. Yes, that is a complaint. My complaint about Nimmo is that he should be better than what he is, and he's not. He should, be, he should not be the leadoff hitter. He should not be in a starting lineup. He's not a top – he's not a – he's not a, a – um, He's not one of your top three outfielders. I'm sorry. That's my complaint about Nimmo. People make him out to be more than what he is. They give him his on base. His on base percentage is 400. Yeah, wonderful. And he hits 240. Who cares? Who cares? And he gives you terrible defense and gives you nothing else. At least I'm getting above average defense from Jackie Bradley Jr. At least I'm getting that. I know I'm going to get some runs being saved because he's in the outfield. I know I'm getting that. I'm no, I'm, I know I'm going to be able to throw guys out from center field because he's giving you that. He's giving you a hell of a lot more than Brandon Nimble and Juan Lagares. Tell you that right now. I mean, Jesus. And, they, and let me tell you something. If Jackie Bradley Jr. isn't signed, then who is the center fielder? I'm just, I asking. I'm just I, asking. I don't know. Maybe they make a deal for a guy. I don't know. Well, until that happens, I'm going to feel the way I feel. Oh, you can feel the way you feel, but you can't feel that way. It's January twentieth. Allow the process <laughs> to play out. If you think that if you think that Sandy Alderson, who stressed defense 
in his opening press conference. And right, so but let's home. also not forget that Sandy Alderson was the guy that was in charge of this team that put together a team full of guys who couldn't play the field. And so. what did Sandy Alderson say in his press conference? He acknowledged that. He goes, well, we do have to improve the defense. I see that now. He understands that. He said it himself. And so did Steve Cohn for that matter. And Steve guess what? They, 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 massive, they, they have a massive upgrade at defense shortstop. They have a massive upgrade defensively at catcher. And, uh, and they, they have that that's enough. And they have an upgrade at second base. Right, but do they feel like that's no, enough? They've they've massively improved defense in three areas. Maybe they feel and, that Nimmo, they can you, keep Nimmo in center field because of the upgrades not, they've made. And not Nimmo in center field, you could forget that. My God, please, stop playing that hypothetical game with yourself. You're freaking yourself out right now with Brandon Nimmo. Stop. Just, just listen. Listen to me. I'll make you feel better. Next time I see you, I'll pet you. I'll coddle you nice on the back of your head. Let me tell you something. And let me, let me make this known now. You, don't worry. Brandon Nimmo is not your center fielder next year. And I'll say this. He, if he on opening be. day, if opening day 2021, Brandon Nimmo is a starting center fielder, you better be at my front door on your knee with roses and a I'm not even. I'm not even going to be worried about it, my friend. He will not be a starting center fielder. I am guaranteeing you that. He will not be a starting center fielder. I certainly hope not. Whether it be Jackie Bradley Jr. or somebody else out there, Brandon Nimmo will be probably maybe a starting left fielder if he's not if he's not dealt. And I'm well, expecting. I'd rather, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather the other guys than Jackie Bradley Jr. To be honest with you, I'd rather uh, I take Kevin Pillar. What do you really have? Take Almora. I would. Kevin Pillar has seen his better days, and forget about Alvin Almora. He's not an everyday player. I think I, I think you just right now you're just using his narrative against Jackie Bailey Jr. just for the sake of using it because Alvin well, Almora. I'm, I'm not a fan of him as a player. I don't think he's that good of a player. You're a fan of Alvin Almora and Kevin Pillar over him. Jackie Bailey Jr. is by far a better player than those two guys at this point. By far, it's not even close. Not even close. You just have you have a thing against Jackie Bailey Jr. now because this is your argument and you don't want to see him succeed. No, believe me. If they sign him, I hope uh, I'm gonna. I, I hope to God that he does well. Against him, every single at bat. No, I won't. That's I that's again. That's just silly. That's silly to think I that. So I know you. You'll be sitting there rooting for him to strike out with the bases loaded, or to drop a fly ball, or to misplay a, a, a base hit, or to misplay a ball in the gap, just so you could say, "I told you he sucks." I told you he sucks. I don't care what you say. Because I know you like a book. There's I'm no not, not going to be rooting against him. That's just wrong. Oh, now, if yeah. he does, if he does perform poorly, I'm going to be the first person to. Uh, this guy's not even on the Mets yet, and we're talking about this. But, uh, and by the way, he's got uh, Kevin Pillar's got better numbers in every single area than Jackie Bradley Jr. They're the same age. Um, and let's see, Kevin Pillar. Wow, I'm shocked. Kevin Pillar has never won a Gold Glove. Yeah. He's, he, he's good. That's all he is. Uh, he's tremendous in center he's field. Not, he's good. He's good. He's oh, a he, good. No, stop. He's tremendous. Jackie now you have a narrative true. against Kevin Pillar. You don't want to see Kevin Pillar succeed. I don't want to see Kevin Pillar. I'd rather have Jackie Bradley Jr. All right. Well, by the way, the Nets first game with Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden, they have lost in double OT to the Cleveland Cavaliers, 147-135. Durant <laughs> had 38 points. Uh, Kyrie Irving had 37 points. James Harden had 21 points. So they can obviously share the ball and they can all score, but they can't play a lick of defense, which is a concern. So uh, we'll, we'll see how things go for them. All right. We spent enough time on baseball. Let's get on to the hockey. Uh, Rangers start the season. Like I said, they looked god-awful on opening night. They really did. 
against the Islanders. By the way, Kevin Pillar's career on base percentage is 299. That's all I want to say. <laughs> now you can go on because I got a Ryan Strom uh, complaint too. All right, well, and, I'd rather and, Jackie and, Bradley Jr. on my favorite team than Ryan Strom. I would preface that by saying that. But yeah, the Rangers, so they opened up opening night and it was a god-awful performance. They came out flat. They were sloppy. Uh, goaltending wasn't great from Shesterkin. Uh, they lose 4 nothing to the Islanders. They bounced back two nights later when we got nervous. Uh, but they came out and they were clicking on all cylinders and they beat the Islanders 5 nothing. So they answer, respond back, shut them out. And then they had a game last night against the Devils where, listen, I, I don't think they played terribly. Uh, there was a good portion of that game where the, the Rangers just, I mean, completely dominated. The majority of the third period, they completely dominated the Devils. And I was shocked that the game didn't get tied up. But there's just too many instances of boneheaded plays or defensive breakdowns. And it seems like every single time it happens, it results in a goal. And and that's been the Rangers' Achilles heel. It happened last season, too, a lot. There'd be times where the Rangers would severely outplay their opponent. And then one or two mistakes just really did them in. Uh, Gurdjieff was in goal last night. He didn't look great either. Shesterkin came in, looked pretty good in the third period. Uh, but listen, th- they have some issues. They really do. They have some issues. Again, they're very, very top-heavy. Uh, their ability to score really lies on the first two lines. And, and in the first couple of games, I mean, the only goals that are scored, you have a couple goals from Buchnevich, a goal from Zibanejad, a couple of goals from Panarin, a goal from Hedl. That's the only production you're getting. You're not getting any sort of production from the bottom lines. And you have a bone to pick with Ryan Strom. I'm in the same boat as you, but you're a lot more animated um, when you rip on players. So I'll let you have at it and, and tell me. Where you well, sit listen, on the first of all, I want the coach fired. Period. Stop. That's it. I'm done with him. Uh, seriously, I'm not overreacting. That, that, uh, I've had, I've had enough time to think about this. I'm tired of being down one nothing, two nothing, thirty seconds into the game. This is going on for the last three years. Tired of it. I, I've had it with this coach. I'm tired of seeing other guys get demoted and and uh, for their play or their lack of discipline, whatever it may be, but yet you got this shitbag, Ryan Strom, going out, leading all forwards in ice time every single goddamn game. Somehow, some way, he's also on the first power play unit, never to get removed, never to get demoted. He's lazy. He's awful defensively. He can't win a freaking faceoff. He can't receive a puck on his stick. How many times last night did you see pucks bouncing over his stick? Oh, twice. He had a wide-open net. Wide-open net. Beautiful feeds, and it just... He's God awful. And somehow, some way, this guy cemented on the second line as a center, the first power play unit. All I know is I see Capo Caco was one of the best players in that first period. Filipino. Where's the development of these kids? This is supposed to be a coach that's supposed to be developing these players. Julian Gauthier, where is the development? There's nothing but punishments that go on with this guy. Let these young kids play through their goddamn mistakes already. Stop with the discipline constantly, unless it's something so egregious, like what D'Angelo maybe did. I get it. But my God, because a kid makes a mistake, do not bench him or demote him. Capo Caco should not be playing 14 minutes a game. He should not be... uh, 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 not be not on your first or second power play unit. Alexi Lafreniere last night. How good was he the first two periods? You know what he? You know how many? You know how much time he played the last ten and a half minutes of that game in the third period, Andrew? Did he? Did he play at all? Twenty six seconds. Mm. 
I was going to say, I didn't well, see him. And, and this is Quinn's uh, reasoning. Well, it was, you know, it was dictated by circumstances. What circumstances? You were down, you were down a goal. He's your number one pick. The kid has played well, with the exception of some some opening night jitters, maybe a little bit, and some nervousness. The kid is I thought he's he's been terrific the, the last couple of games. Yeah. Hasn't showed up on a on on a on a on a on a score sheet, but you see that he's noticeable. How is he playing 26 seconds? You got Jack Hughes played 25 minutes last night. How is Kako getting 14 minutes? Lafreniere playing 26 seconds the last 10 and a, 10 and a half minutes of a game. You're down a goal. How is this happening? Philip Heedle. Heedle and Kako had seven and a half minutes played at the end of the second period. From the first and second. Total. This is That's total ice time. How is that happening? This is supposed to be a coach that developed these players. And yet Ryan Strom gets 23 minutes a night. How is the, This doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. And Brendan Smith gets 19 a night also. I don't even mind Brendan Smith as a sixth defenseman at this point. But the fact that you didn't play D'Angelo last night and to, to play Jack Johnson? 16 and a half minutes for Jack Johnson. It's in, it just doesn't make sense. And not only that, yeah, all right. Monday morning quarterback, but I was actually shocked that he played Georgiev last night. Igor Shosturkin is your goalie. He's your guy. And I'm not saying you have to play him every single night. But he should have been bounced back after having a game that he had, giving up the three early goals in that island game. Then he kind of settled in after that, and he played well. He should have bounced back with that kid. I know Georgia played well against the Islanders. He got the shutout. But you went in with the same team that you won with. I don't agree with that. You're playing a different team. The Devils have a hell of a lot more speed than the Islanders have. The Angelos should have been in that lineup, lineup and you should have had Shesterkin bouncing back. Period. Period. And what happens? Georgiev was absolutely god-awful in that game. God-awful. Lesson learned, David Quinn, once again. I want this guy out. And you, you, notice, you notice, too, he said, because I brought this up to you when they first signed Jack Johnson, that he, he ranked as the worst, the absolute worst defenseman in all of hockey last season. And the Rangers did their best, which they kind of do this a lot. David Quinn got up there and did his best impersonation of, uh, like, we know better than everybody else and kind of so- tried to sell everyone on the fact that even though his defensive metrics are really bad, there's a lot of good that he can do and they really want to use him on the penalty kill. You notice every single time they've given up a power play goal, it's Johnson's unit that's on the ice. The penalty kill has been very good when Johnson is not on the ice. The biggest complaint with Lindy Ruff as assistant coach on this team was that the penalty kill was brutal. The penalty kill has been really, really good, except when you put Jack Johnson on the ice. It happened last night when Miles Wood scored a power play goal. Yeah, he was, he was, he, he couldn't, he didn't, he never checked Miles Wood. He never checked him. He put, he put a, a, a you know, a faint little stick check on him. Never even bided him, nothing. Oh, and by the way, the Devils, by the way, only gave up one five-on-five goal so far this season, which was last night. So how's their defense playing? Everybody complained about Lindy Ruff. It's your coach. Lindy Lindy Ruff, my biggest complaint with him was not the defense overall, because I don't think the defense overall is that good, but the penalty kill, you you see glaring weaknesses, and the penalty kill has been a lot better. It really has. And you notice they don't give up any five-on-five goals. They only give up goals on a power play, the Devils. that's, that's, That's the point of Lindy Ruff. But... Listen, well, it's look, it, it I, hasn't I, I want you know, listen, and I told you this, Gerard Gallant's out there. 
Go get him. Go get yourself a veteran coach now. This team needs a change behind the bench. There's something fundamentally wrong with the way David Quinn is handling these young kids. And again, this is supposed to be a guy supposed to be developing these players. I don't know if I want him going forward developing any of these young players anymore because they haven't seen the development from Hedl and Kako. Because why? Because he doesn't play them. He doesn't play him. They should be Philip Hedl should be at second line center, period. And live and die with it right now. Live and die with it. Because I'm telling you right now, Ryan Strom is not the answer. Trust me, Panarin will put up points with anybody centering him. He'll put up points with anybody. Not just because Ryan Strom. Please get Ryan Strom the hell out of here. Get him out. Get him out. This team needs to change behind the bench. They need a change. I'm telling you right now. Well, even 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 with you, you don't need anybody yeah, because he, Panarin has. I want to ask you a quick question. If they go two and eight, three and seven, those first ten games, what happens? Uh, that's tough. I think I think it really depends on how they look. Depends on how they look. I mean, if they go two and eight, but you know, a couple of those losses are overtime losses or whatever, or you know, if they if they come out flat like they did against the Islanders in Game One and games like that, and we see a lot of the same stuff, you know, we see, you know, minute left in the game, down by a goal, and I see Brendan Lemieux on the ice instead of one of the goal, you know, just simple things like that. And I get it, Lemieux brings an element to this team that no one else does. He brings toughness, and he had one unbelievable shift last night. They actually highlighted it during the broadcast where he blocked a shot. He couldn't even get up because his leg hurt so much. And he threw his body on the ground and, and blocked yeah. another shot. He's just—he's very physical, Lemieux. He brings a toughness element to this team that no one else really possesses. But there is no reason on God's green earth that he should be on the ice trailing by a goal with a minute left in the game. I'm sorry. That's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. And the whole reason you hired David Quinn was because, you know, he was a college coach and you were going through a rebuilding phase, getting a lot of young players and, not working. It's not. It's really not working. And listen, we had this conversation last year about whether or not we were comfortable with him going forward. And me and you both fell on the side of yes, but this was going to be a telling year. And out of the trends we've seen in the first three games, again, it's early in the season, but this is a shortened season and you're only playing the teams in your division, so you can't afford to fall in a hole here. And we're not seeing a development we had hoped at a certain guys. And it's not for lack of development. It's lack of exposure. They're not getting playing time. How does Ryan Strom play four more minutes last night over Pavel Buchnevich coming off that game that Buchnevich had against the Islanders? How does he get four more minutes of ice time? The only the, the only player on the Rangers that had more ice time than Ryan Strom was Adam Fox. Who deserves that? Who deserves that ice time because Adam Fox has been phenomenal. But besides that, I think Panarin actually, I think Panarin might have had about 30 seconds more of ice time than Strom did. But that's inexcusable. Come on. And you see. You know, that's the thing that, that's mind-boggling because with these kids, right, if someone makes a mistake or misses an assignment defensively, they get demoted. You consistently see Ryan – it's not that we just don't think Ryan Strom is that good. We consistently see him make mistakes, and it's not mistakes because he's outplayed. It's mistakes because of laziness and being out-hustled, and there's no repercussions for it. It doesn't make any sense. makes no sense. And there's repercussions for everybody else. Everybody else, except for Ryan Strom. 
Him, I tell you, there's Ryan Strom and Brett Howden. Somehow, some way, they go on. Oh, Brett Howden, too. Brett Howden's another one. They go unscathed. And I'm not even going to say much on Brett Howden because he's a fourth line guy. Okay, so I get it. But somehow, some way, he always finds his way in the ice, Brett Howden. He loves Brett Howden. Brett Howden could do no wrong like Ryan Strom. I don't get it. And that's why there's a fundamental problem. I'm telling you right now, John Davidson is not married to David Quinn. This was not his hire. So I'm telling you right now, if this team starts faltering over the next four or five games, I'm telling you right now, there's going to be a lot of whispers to replace him. And I'll be the first one online screaming to replace him. Because after last night, I said, am I overreacting to this? I thought about it. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not overreacting to this because I've had enough of these young kids not playing. Let them freaking play. This is a team in a rebuild. We're not trying to win a Stanley Cup this year. You're trying to develop these players. You can't develop them if you're stapling them to the bench. You got to play them. Jesus. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense. Well, the Rangers have two important games coming up against Pittsburgh. And um, they need to they need to find a way. They need to find a way to, to limit the mistakes because that's really what did them in. Because, like I said, for a large portion of that game last night, the Rangers did look good. Uh, but yeah, the problem is we don't consistently see them put 60 play. minutes together. Their five-on-five five wasn't that strong, especially the first two periods. I didn't think – you know, they didn't have a shot for the first 10 minutes of that, that, that game to stop that game. You know, they got a couple of innocent shots off in 12 minutes in that first period. It was just another horrendous start, a bad goal given up by Georgiev. And my God, these last three years under Quinn, how many times have we seen it, Andrew? one nothing, 2 nothing, first two minutes of the game. Yep. We've seen it last year in the playoffs. We've seen it for the past three years. Or the play-in bubble, you know, those games in the bubble against Carolina. I mean, this has been a pattern now with them. It's a pattern, and it's concerning. It's concerning that they get off to such lethargic starts. It's concerning. And in the season now where you're playing 56 games, and every single game, as I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, is going to mean something. You can't afford losing streaks here. You better not be 3-7. and You better not be 2-8 and after 10 games because you know what? It's a death sentence. Your season's over. Yep. It's over. Period. Stop. There are too many good teams in this division to afford losing streaks. And the Devils, it was a very winnable game. That's a game that should be an automatic two points. You're a better team than them all the way around. Yeah. All the way around. You should not have to be fighting back from 4-1 deficits against the Devils. I will say Blackwood was very good, though. He was good, but again, we you know we make these guys look better than what the hell they are. He was good. I give him credit, Blackwood. He was good, but you you shouldn't have to be behind four one in this game. You shouldn't be. They got one player on that team, Jack Hughes. And Jack it could have been it could have been could have been five if not for the massive break of yeah. of uh, Palmieri being offsides. Uh, who 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 else scares you on that team? And Jack Hughes don't even scare me. You could see the kid's wildly talented. He's still a young kid. But you know what? That young kid's playing every single game. He's playing 25 minutes. He's playing. No matter what the mistakes he could possibly make, he's on the ice. So the Rangers have to think about doing something here. They really, really do. They better. I told you, JD's not married to this guy. He is not married to Quinn. He's not married to him. So I'm telling you right now, this team starts falling short of expectations over the first 10 games. There's gonna be there's gonna there's 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 going to be a replacement. 
I don't think they're going to go an entire season like this. They're not going to want to do it. Well, hopefully they turn it around. Like I said, two important games coming up against Pittsburgh. Then they got two against Buffalo. And like we said, every game is important, being that it's a short season and you're only playing divisional opponents. So, and the Rangers is second to last in the division right now, three games in. But, you know, everybody, one team that when you're, when you're this far behind in the standings, every single team that you're chasing, when you're only playing each other, well, one of them is going to win. So you, you can't afford to get off to a slow start. So they got to end the schneid and, and really turn things around. So, you know, hopefully we don't see more of the same and another lethargic start, nothing like that. They got the uh, the, the Penguins on Friday night, 7 o'clock. So Shesterkin, I would expect, would be back in net for that one. And uh, and we'll see what happens. And you see, you see, you know, the uh, you see the fundamental flaws of the Nets, you know, defensively that will probably prevent them from winning a championship because, as we know, good defense beats anything. <laughs> so... 147 you know, points. 147 points at the Cleveland Cavaliers is, wow. Troubling. That's trouble. That is trouble. And you know what? That's going to be the Nets in, in a nutshell because really it's just the big three and they're just going, you know, they're going to try and outscore teams every single game. But come time for the playoffs when you're playing teams like the Heat or the Celtics, you know, maybe even Toronto teams that play defense, it's going to be a lot harder you know, to put up 140 points to win games. So we're going to see what happens here with the Nets. But Kyrie Irving came back, put up 37 points tonight. Uh, you know, and then, yeah, I got the Knicks. Knicks are a game under 500. You know, kind of what you're expecting from the Knicks. A couple of good games, a couple of bad games. They won actually a surprising game against the Celtics the other day on Sunday in Boston. They beat them by 30. I mean, basically whipped the Celtics' asses. So, you know, as yeah, long Celtics, as no, no, one was, no one was playing, playing for the Celtics, though. Minutes a night. But, you know, the Knicks are what the Knicks are. You know what? If they can win 30 games and maybe maybe find their way into that play-in game, you know, that would be a success for the Knicks. It would be a success. Successful yeah. season. They can develop a couple of young guys. Emmanuel quickly looks terrific. Looks like he should be a kid that, that should be, you know, should be around for a little while here. Maybe they maybe they solved their point guard problem here with quickly. I mean, it's still early on in his career, but so far he looks good. This kid, he's aggressive. He could shoot, passes. He looks like he knows the game. Plays hard. He plays defense. So you know, we'll see. We'll see. So all right, I guess we could wrap it up. Yeah. So we did a lot like we normally do when we do week to week episodes. So we'll uh, be on the lookout for the NFL playoffs this weekend. Just to recap. Uh, Rob and I both have the same one and two point play. We have the Chiefs minus three and the Bucks plus three and a half. And then on that three point play, which is the big one, Rob has over 51 and the Bucks Packers. I have under 51. So that's going to be the big one that really decides whether or not uh, I can catch Rob going into Super Bowl week. And we'll figure out a system where we make some picks for Super Bowl. We'll do a one, two and three point play. Somehow, some way we'll figure it out. We'll just have to discuss the format that we follow for that. So uh, follow us on social media as always. My Twitter account at Andrew May underscore 21. Follow me on Instagram a underscore May 21. Rob is on Twitter too. Rob OG six. You can follow him there. So give us a follow uh, links podcast. Go there. Any questions, concerns, anything send them to us. We're happy to listen. Uh, we're recording. It's Wednesday, the 20th. It'll be up by Thursday, the 21st. And, We'll see what happens. Maybe no, I wake I up tomorrow and I'm over George Springer. Who on knows? the love of God, I just hope the Mets make some moves by next Wednesday so you could be happy and all the Met world and Met nation can be happy. Well, what's going to, you know, exactly what's going to happen, right? So 
I'm on here giving my displeasure with them not getting George Springer. And what's been the trend these past few weeks? All the big moves happen on Thursday. So tomorrow, the Mets are going to pull off a massive trade for uh, Nolan Arenado or Eugenio Suarez. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know what period of time it may be. Within the next week or two, I think. The Mets are going to do two things. They're going to sign a free agent, whether it be a Jackie Bradley Jr. or a Brad Hand or, you know, whatever, with relief help or whatever it may be. And they're going to make one trade that's going to come out of nowhere. Is that a guarantee or a prediction? I'm going to make a guarantee. Wow. Feeling ballsy tonight. I'm going to make a guarantee. They're going to do two things, my friend. They are going to sign a free agent. Again, it's going to be either middle reliever or uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. or whatever it may be. You know, they're going to sign one free agent, and then they're going to make a trade out of nowhere. You're going to say, wow, I didn't see that coming. Well, I heard Paul Seawald is a free agent. No, let's, let's <laughs> not even, why even make you know, making, it? Making a guarantee like that. You know what that is? That's showing some Andy Reid type sack, making a guarantee like that. Yeah, no, let's 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 not let's not go there. Actually, <laughs> actually, seen a tweet today from Paul Bird. I don't know if you were too young to remember Paul Bird. Don't know who that is. No, he was a Met pitcher. He was he was on the uh, he was on the Chris Flexen, you know, uh, uh, Corey Oswalt, and wait, who did you just mention? Paul Seawalt. and Paul Seawalt type career he had. Oh, okay, all right. When did he pitch? Wow, Paul Bird was probably back, uh, man, oh, man, 90s, I think it was, maybe early 90s, some, uh, hold on. Okay, me, so that's before my time. Let me see what the hell this was. Let's see. Yeah, he was actually 95. Yeah, 95, 96. <clears throat> you know, he pitched with the Mets for two years, and he went to Atlanta, Philadelphia. He sucked. <laughs> Just like those other guys, nothing too. Well, different. actually, you know what? He actually had two decent years in his career. Out of nowhere, nineteen ninety nine, he won fifteen games with the Phillies, and then in two thousand two, he won seventeen games. You know, he he was a middling type pitcher. As he as he got later on to his career, he got better. You know, he had double digit wins six times in his career, but you know, he was kind of a journeyman type type starter. Actually, he was probably better than Corey Oswalt and Chris Flexen. That's not saying much, though. All right, we'll wrap it up. Uh, NFL playoffs coming up next weekend. Uh, probably get some MLB news, whether it's the Mets, Yankees, whoever. We'll find out throughout the week. We'll break that all down next week. Uh, hopefully, you know, important games from the Rangers coming up this weekend. So we'll figure out exactly where they stand and, and if they're going to make a change or not. So we'll see. So we'll be back next week to break that all down. As always, follow us on social media. Episode will be out tomorrow, Thursday, the 21st. Thanks, everybody, for listening, continuing to support. For Roger Frey, I'm Andrew May. We'll see you guys next time.